Very nice to see you, man. Thanks for coming. Cheers. Hey, thanks for having me. Sorry it took uh, so many so many cracks at it. Oh. It's mainly because I just deleted all your emails. <laughs> uh, you're so big time now. Mm. In my own head, I am. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're like uh, my other friend who's big time now, who who's uh, now mayor of the city. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely different path, but a cool one. Um, totally. And it's funny how uh, busy people get and unavailable, but yeah. Um, but I'm excited to, you know, we are going to be meeting with him soon and I'm excited to hear kind of the whole path of that journey. Yeah. But also yours, man. I, I think, uh, I'm so interested to share with people and to hear more stories about how you are, where you are today and what brought you here. Um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs listening, a lot of, uh, all different types of people, um, that'll benefit from, from kind of your stories, your life story. And I think, you know, for me and my relationship with you, it starts, you know, through, I guess, uh, business-based friendship. And by that, I mean, we don't do business together, but um, we're both part of VO and got to know each other that way. And you were a really respected um, former president when I was becoming president. And uh, and I look to you to, you know, share kind of what had made your year so successful, so highly regarded. And, mm -hmm. you know, my deep perspective, you started you know, even maybe before that, but definitely went to a new level then. Um, and so let's talk about your entry into business, like your first kind of big business, because I think that's interesting to people. Well, I think that uh, what might be interesting to people is the first small business, which uh, <laughs> probably the worst job you could possibly have as a child or as a young budding individual is those guys out on the street that are waving at cars. That was me flagging people off the street. Yes, that was me. But just to make it even more mm, demeaning, I had to wear a clown suit. <laughs> That's childhood trauma. Uh, tell me about it. So I got a job when I was, uh, I think it was 14 or 15. And so my, my uh, friend's mom had opened up a flower store in Port Moody. And so they said that they were trying to figure out how to, you know, promote it better because people didn't know on St. John Street, which is a reasonably busy street in Port Moody, that that there was this flower shop. So they came up with the idea that they they'd have a clown waving at cars. And so at 14 years old, uh, they said, "Hey, do you want a job?" My buddy, whose mom it was, and a couple other friends were all kind of in on it. And uh, I was like, "Okay, well, what does it pay?" I think minimum wage then was five dollars and fifty cents an hour. So I decided, okay, well, you know, I need a job and, you know, 550 is better than a stick in the eye. And I cannot impress upon you enough how arduous waving at cars in a clown suit can be, especially when you're 14 or 15, you're already a little self-conscious about, <laughs> yeah. you know, what the world thinks of you. And you don't know for sure where you fall in the world. I am telling you that was a mess. Were you disguised? I was disguised as a clown, but you're still standing on the street as a clown yeah. and <laughs> not exactly, you know, not exactly the, it's, it's not a babe magnet. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> the tree, people drive by clown. Yes. So, but it, it's interesting because when I look back on it, um, that may have been one of the early lessons that I got in business, which was if I can just hang on and not cut bait, that I can get value. I can derive value from stuff that I um, will hold on to until I can get value from it. So 
picture it's raining, it's sleeting, it's snowing. I'm in a clown suit waving at cars on a busy street, making $5 and 50 cents an hour. Like it sucks the worst balls. One day, all my friends quit, by the way. Like we're talking within months because they're like, I don't want to do this. I'd rather go home and play video games. I don't need the 5.50 an hour. I was like, I want the 5.50 an hour, but I just feel like there's a tendency, something innate in me that I was like, I should, uh, there's, there's something about this that I should hang on to. So one day, waving at cars, a car pulls over and the guy rolls down his window. I realize this sounds like a little bit <laughs> like, where's this story going, Jeff? What was your first business? <laughs> so this guy rolls down his window. He's like, hey, do you do birthday parties? And I was like, uh, I've never done a birthday. Like, what, what's going on? And he says, well, my, my daughter, she's turning nine on Saturday. And I need to figure out some entertainment. It, would you do a birthday party? He said, how much do you make here? I said, five fifty an hour. And he goes, I'll pay you $20 an hour to come be a clown at my daughter's birthday. And so I, uh, I was like, you know what? For 20 bucks over five fifty, I think I can cobble something together. So I get home. Uh, I'm chatting with my mom and dad saying some random guy just pulled over and offered me $20 an hour. They scratched their head going, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, uh, uh, through the course of that that week, I came out. I figured out how to first of all twist animal balloons. Side trick that I can still do to this day. I make one of the meanest poodles you've ever seen before. <laughs> skill for life. It is a skill for life. And uh, I figured out some magic tricks, some basic magic tricks. Built a bit of like a framework for what a birthday party could look like. And I rolled in for a birthday party. I finished the birthday party and I think it was pretty good. Certainly he got his money's worth, but I think he felt bad about paying 20 bucks to show up for an hour to, to, to do this birthday party and gave me $40. And I was like, immediately I was like, you know what? If I can make $40 in this one hour, like maybe there's something there. Like there's something disproportionate about boat trading, you know, my hours for dollars in this $5 and 50 cent job on, you know, the street. And there's value toward doing something a little bit more with this. So at that birthday party, there was four other parents there. And they, I'm sure, looking back on it, they went to talk to and said, you know, where'd you get the clown from? And what's going on? How much are you paying him? I'm <laughs> yeah. sure he's like, oh, I'm paying him $40. And they were like, immediately. Sign me up. I end up with four more birthday parties out of it. And then word of mouth just spread to the point where I was like, you know what? I need business cards. And back then, <laughs> back then business cards were like, you know, you had to use, you used to have to go down to office Depot and you got them printed and they weren't cheap. And like, and I got the embossed ones and like, we really <laughs> dialed it up for what was uh, affectionately then uh, called Jiffy the clown, Jeff Duncan, Jiffy the clown <laughs> then started marketing. Uh, so, you know, we put billboards and, or uh, not billboards, but you know, placeholders and on bulletin boards uh, in churches and community groups. And I ended up getting so busy doing children's birthday parties that I ran out of my hours to be able to accomplish these. So I was like, I need employees for this business. And so that maybe took like a year to, to kind of ramp up to that point. But uh, I ended up with a handful of employees that I trained and got them costumes and teach them how to do balloon animals and all, and just basically follow the formula that I had, that I'd found tuned over the course of a year. 
And they would, at that point, I'd raise the rates and we were at like, I don't know, 60 or $70, which was still good. Like, I think I look back on it, I was probably like the bargain clown, right? And then people are like, oh, for 70 bucks, yeah, you got to hire him. It's, it's a shoe in, right? I also think that that was back when clowns weren't as creepy as they are now. <laughs> I think, wait, 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 wait. I think they were as creepy then as they are now, but somehow it was more socially acceptable creepiness. <laughs> <laughs> Creepiness was more socially acceptable. <laughs> I think that that's probably the case. But um, there was one guy that approached me. He said, I want to be a clown, but I don't want to be your employee. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I want you to teach me everything you're doing, but I want to run my own business. And I'm like, I think that's called a franchise. So I am in grade 11 at this point, and I'm basically failing marketing 11, maybe like a C minus or something like that at marketing 11. And mainly because marketing was the first period of the day. And when I finished school, I went home, like I was building, uh, like not just franchise agreements, but also building an entire manual about the business processes that needed to take place in order to do business as a party clown. And so I was burning the candle on both ends and not getting my marketing stuff was a mess. So I'm in marketing class. I'm pretty close to failing because I'm just not getting the work done and I'm rolling in late because I'm like, you know, teenager a, but then also the fact that I'm been up until, you know, midnight or one o'clock in the morning working on, on the business. And so the pivotal point was there was an assignment for marketing that said, you need to interview an entrepreneur as the project. Of course, you got a, the rest of marketing 11, all kids looking for the lowest hanging fruit was the easiest way that we could possibly get anything done. They all know that I'm doing what I'm doing. And so they're like, just pick Jeff. Let's just do Jeff. Like, let's just interview Jeff. When the marketing teacher received seven separate papers that the, they were interviewing me as the entrepreneur was the second that that C minus somehow shifted miraculously. <laughs> and it got to the point where the marketing 11 teacher would be writing stuff on the board saying, here's how this works. And this is what this is. And then she'd turn and she'd look at me and she goes, Jeff, is this correct? <laughs> so I ended up with an A in marketing 11. No doubt. Uh, and uh, it was just that applied knowledge. Um, so uh, back to your original question, my first big business wasn't a big business at all, but that was the segue into me getting into business and, uh, and kind of a nice, interesting tee up where I came to the realization, A, if I hang on to stuff until I can derive value from it as opposed to cutting bait early, and then B, you know, applying my efforts instead of, you know, this, this menial hours for dollars that there may be some value in there. And yeah. I've kind of hung on to both of those principles as I've gone forward. So you're hooked at that point, mm -hmm. grade 11, successful business franchise, totally hooked, done. Yeah. Entrepreneur for life. Yeah. And then what, what took you into, you know, the major events of the world and the accommodation side of it. So, um, when I finished high school, I was trying to determine what my next steps would be. And I need you to picture the fact that my entire family, when I say my entire family, I mean, everybody has gone to UBC, University <laughs> of British Columbia. My sisters went to UBC. My parents graduated from UBC, their sisters, my uncles, my cousins, UBC across the board. So I'm in, I'm in uh, grade, uh, grade 12 and I'm on the fence as to what makes most sense. 
And so I think my dad at that time had definitely his own mm, guided intentions, which 100% would have been, you should go to UBC. But I think he was also wise enough to realize that giving me advice as his father might fall more on deaf ears than otherwise. So he and smart. And by the way, I, I use this exact same thing with, uh, with my son as he was trying to determine what he does after grade 12. He's like, I am going to, instead of tell you what I think, uh, let me just introduce you to some people that I know that are successful and just go sit down, buy them a coffee or they'll buy you a coffee and just have a conversation as to what they think and get some experience shares from them. So I went and I can't remember the first couple meetings that I went to, but the third one I went to was uh, this travel agency called Uniglobe Travel. And it was Uniglobe Network Travel, which he knew because uh, he had worked for Uniglobe in years past uh, doing franchise sales. So one of the franchisees who owned Uniglobe Network Travel, he had teed up a meeting for me. So I went to this meeting uh, with Roy. And we sat down and he said, what's going on? And I said, well, you know, I'm in grade 12. I need to figure out what I'm doing next and whether I go get a job or whether I start a business or do I go to school? And by the end of the conversation, he was basically like, you know what? You got to come work for me. Do like corporate sales, like try to sell companies on why uh, they should use, you know, Globe Travel instead of whatever they're using otherwise. And so... I left that meeting with the intention of the possibility of getting a job at Uniglobe. And I came back home and uh, my dad was like, hey, how did that meeting go? I said, it was good. He, actually, Roy offered me a job. And he goes, that bastard, I told him to tell you to go to UBC. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that was it. That was before I graduated. And so pretty much September, I had the summer. September uh, rolled around and I was a businessman. I came to work, they gave me an office, which I was so excited about. I had my own office and I wore a suit and tie. Yeah, that'd be fun at right? 18. Totally, totally. Rolling in and I'm like, and I've got my phone and I've got a desk. And, and basically I sat down, the training that existed was non-existent. He, he sat down and he's like, hey, let's talk about, you know, what you're, what you're, you know, how you're gonna go about this and here's some lead lists. And I was like, you know what? I have a feeling that I'm probably, this is probably going to be more effective if I just go like, let me just lock myself in an office and let me just roll through this and cold calling. I mean, you want to, you want to talk about, I mean, a clown on a street sucks. Cold calling is about the equivalent of a clown on the street, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not comfortable No, and it pretty much sucks as well. Um, but I just bashed my, like, I was just trying to figure out a technique. I was trying to figure out how people wouldn't hang up on me. I'm calling corporations and I'm talking to their travel people, or sometimes if the company's small enough, the CEO is making a purchasing decision, um, and figuring out like if I mail letters and then follow up to say, did you get the letter? Is that going to, uh, it was just basically trial and error. And, uh, over the course of time, I, you know, it generated enough uh, new business for Uniglobe and worked my way up the ranks from like a junior salesperson to uh, like sales coordinator to sales manager. And then uh, then asked whether I could be called the director of sales because I'm like, that's going to help me sell more business. Really, I just wanted the title because it was sexy. 
And they're like, yeah, well, we can't say no to you. And then eventually I was like, you know what? I think I want to be the vice president of sales. And he's the president. He's like, sure, if you want. And I'm like, I don't want the bigger office. He's like, you can take the bigger office. <laughs> what meant nothing to him was super important to me. How right? long into it was this? Um, I think I ended up in, I think it was about six years that I worked at Uniglobe. And another good example, because I, I wasn't making a ton of money. I had the status, but I wasn't making a ton of money, but I still hung on to that. And I guess taking that first, you know, lesson of hanging on to the clown thing, which became something at Uniglobe, I could have left. And the, the Roy was like, Jeff, you could have left like five times. and got paid like three times the amount of money. Like you, you could go get a job selling anything to anyone. And, uh, but I hung on to it. And then there was this occasion where I had this, this client that said, you know, could you, I realized that you do like, you know, you guys do flights and hotel bookings and car rentals. I got like a large block of hotel rooms that I need for a conference. And is that something you can assist with? And I was like, I, sure, of course we can assist Your boss with that. said this? No, this is, sorry, this is a client. Okay. One of my clients was saying, I got a large block of hotel rooms. And so I was like, of course we do that. We didn't do that. Um, but I was pretty much saying I can figure this out because I'm sure there's some money in there. That's when I learned that if I became a broker and had a contract for a large block of hotel rooms, that I was going to get paid 10%. The agency would get paid 10% of the whole block of rooms. And this is a, the block was a booking this guy wanted to make, or it was an inventory of rooms. He was trying to find people to, it was like them. a conference that he was attending, that he had a group of people that were attending. So he had like, he, he was like, buy I need, a whole bunch. yeah, I need like a hundred rooms for my group. Yeah. And I need a hundred rooms over the course of a few days. And I know I can get a better deal than if I go purchase all the hundred rooms individually, you got to be able to negotiate something better because I'm taking a larger block of rooms. And so, um, went through that process. There was a point where there was a commission check that came Roy received it. And he's like, Jeff, what's this? And it was for like $6,800. And I'm like, that's the block of rooms. I just figured out that I can do a, you know, hundred room contract and we get paid 10% commission on the whole block of rooms, 6,800 bucks. And he's like, let's just go 50, 50 on this stuff. Like if you want to do this as a little sideline, then you know, you're welcome to it. And so we d developed this little tiny division inside the company that dealt with uh, large blocks of hotel rooms. Then in like, I don't know whether it's like 96 or something, the whole travel agency model fell out the bottom bottom and it, the airlines were basically saying you, we used to pay you 10% of the, the, the airfare to travel agents. And we're going to cap that at like, now it's like 10%, but up to $300. And then it became 8% at like a hundred dollars. And then it was like 6% at like $50. And so that like the entire travel agency model was out because the old school model of booking travel through a travel agent, as opposed to coming directly to the airline's website. So he was like, I don't know how we can make this a go. Cause all the clients that you brought and you know, it was profitable. It's not profitable anymore. And so I brokered with him. I said, Hey, tell you what, you can lay me off and I'll take someone with me that is helping me on this little sideline thing, but with your blessing to take that business and I'll do it independently. And he was like, done. I'm good with that. So that became what we then incorporated Meeting Max. And at the time, the office was like, you know, I basically had a buddy of mine who 
gave me an office. My first desk was like two like workhorses with like a, 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 a door as the, as, as the desk top. And that was just kind of the beginning of, of, uh, of that, of that whole model. Well, it's nice to start with his blessing, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think that he felt if he didn't need to lay off this other person, that was a win for him as well. Yeah. That she can come land with me and, and then help me kind of totally get, uh, get, get that side of the business. Yeah. Good vibes. Good way to start. Definitely. And then cut to, you know, when did you guys get big? What were, what were some of your big numbers, uh, you know, pre COVID? Well, I think the pivot that we made because the business that we were in originally was contracting large blocks of hotel rooms and getting commission for them. There was a point where one of our largest customers came to us and said, all these conventions that we're booking with you and you're building all these blocks of rooms, we need a mechanism to be able to have our attendees be able to book those rooms other than calling banks of agents that we had that were like taking reservations by phone. And so uh, they were like, we've heard of this online reservation system. Do you have one of those? And my response was, of course we have one of those. Classic. <laughs> At which point I've hung up the phone and I said, yeah, yeah. And I'm happy to show you in a couple of weeks, uh, just a little busy for a couple of weeks. Boy, was I busy for a couple of weeks. So I hung up the phone and going, okay, how's, how's this whole online reservation system work? And so our, our first um, MVP, our minimal viable product for our online reservation system was our graphics people who basically built screenshots of what a reservation process looked like. And then along where the button where you'd press the next button, was just a link to the next Another. photo. <laughs> yeah. It was fillable though. That's how high quality we were running. Dang. So you could fill in. So they'd, they'd, they'd be like, here, let's demonstrate. Go ahead and select any hotel. Please make it the Hyatt at the top because it's the only one that's linked. And then fill out your reservation and click next. And the comment was, man, the system works really fast. <laughs> of course, it wasn't doing anything other than, you know, the data that they were putting in wasn't going anywhere. Um, so we built it to the point where it looked good. We spent the time on the user interface to make sure that it looked sexy and ended up in a place where uh, we could demo this MVP, which didn't exist at all, um, to the client. The client was like, that's exactly what we were talking about. Like, that looks awesome. That's going to be a good experience for our attendees. So we said, yeah, well, you know, you're, you're, you're welcome to use it anytime, aka when are you looking to use it? And so they said, well, we need to launch our next large set of programs in like seven months. I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. It's all good. Seven months of creating an actual reservation system where our real MVP uh, was that the reservations were coming in. We could print them off and we could fax them to the hotel one oh, by one. Really? Yes. The smoke and mirrors. Right? Yeah. So we would get the reservations in through the system, which did work and it did pull from inventory. Uh, so it was like, it wasn't completely archaic, but it was kind of archaic and we'd print them off, send them to the hotels to, you know, put into the res system and the seed money that we got from that. So we, we retained the customer that was, that was profitable that we could take and we continued to reinvest in the product to make it better and better and better. The next pivotal moment was one of our um, one of the one of the conventions that we would bring to the city of Spokane, Washington, and every city has this destination management company. Like in Vancouver, it's called uh, Tourism Vancouver, or I don't know, maybe they rebranded as something different. Um, but every one of the cities has one, and so um, Visit Spokane, which is the CVB in Spokane, Washington, called 
and they said, hey, every time you bring us this convention uh, for this particular customer, our hotels get to use your reservation system. And so they've asked us to ask you whether you consider licensing us your software so we can use it for even programs that aren't yours. And we say, well, that's not the really, I mean, we're not in the software licensing business, but I guess my answer is yes. If I see that there was an opportunity there, maybe there's an opportunity there. So we said, hey, that's not our model. You got to go into this wide, eyes wide open and how we've structured our business processes may be different than yours. But if you're willing to work with us and allow us to adapt and be a close partner with us, we'll do it. And we'll do it for way less than you could get it elsewhere. And so uh, the city of Spokane was our first customer and they helped us figure out what was important to a convention and visitor bureau and aspects that none, none of the stuff that we fully really understood created the next minimal viable product. And uh, the city of Spokane talked to uh, the city of Madison, Wisconsin, who talked to the city of something that went to the city of something. And at the point we were at, half a dozen convention visitor bureaus, we realized that we had a viable business here. And so over the course of years, uh, we started transitioning out of the services business of contracting hotel rooms for commission to providing a software as a service to organizations holding events. Uh, and we continue to accumulate customers. I mean, uh, we ended up with South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and we did Oracle Open World and Cisco Live and Gardner Symposium and uh, HP Invent and IBM Think and some uh, all the Ironman triathlons. We ended up, you know, becoming unincumbent inside of the the hotel booking software business. Cool. And then uh, COVID happened, mm. and it slowed down. <laughs> Like COVID, I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Well, like for people in the events business, it was brutal. And, yes. and there you were with, uh, you know, everything probably being canceled. Yeah. So I guess that what occurred was as the writing was on the wall on, I think the first thing was the Facebook global conference to teeter in September. I think that they had enough foresight to be, and knowing that really things. September 2019. Buckled. Yeah. So things wow. buckled down in, it was March where yeah. everything just, everything went up in smoke. And so it was, September. but there was early warnings in September. It was, there, there was some indication that Facebook, it was September or October that they canceled their uh, upcoming event that was going deeper into the year. Mm -hmm. And we were like, that's, you know, Harry Carey, like the sky is falling, like stop being so pessimistic. This is absolutely ridiculous. And slowly things trickled as we get closer and closer. The, the final straw was South by Southwest, um, where they were moving their stuff in to the convention hall space seven days prior to the event occurring. And that was the final one. And South by obviously relies on their revenues, highly tied to events need to occur. A lot of other companies, if the event occurs or not, it's probably a savings on their, on their budget. If the event doesn't occur, cause they're going to save 10 million or $15 million. South by Southwest is the catalyst like that. That's, that's the prime example of an organization. That's like this event is going as long as we're legally allowed for this event to occur, it's going to happen in whatever form. And obviously Texas was one of the last of the States to put a, a nail in, in, in the coffin. 
And so, uh, yeah, Austin, Texas, uh, South by canceled seven days prior to, and then it was just, I think, uh, our revenues may have been impacted, you know, for the, for the months leading thereafter as much as 93%. (laughs) Wow. Mm. Brutal. And then what do you, what'd you do then? I mean, you spent some time wondering how long is this going to last? And at some point, how did you decide, um, to think of something else to do? So if we wind back the clock, um, if we go back to maybe two years prior, I got an invitation from a friend who was connected to Richard Branson on Necker Island, and she was doing an event on Necker Island with Richard. And so she had said, do you want to come? There's going to be, I don't know, 43 people or something. And is that something that you would want to come? It's not going to be cheap, but it's going to be a cool opportunity. And so I had determined that it was going to be, you know, those things, those opportunities that are presented to you and they're uncomfortable because they're a little bit scary and they're probably a little too much to swallow in terms of, well, I don't know that I would normally spend that or I'd normally take that amount of time, but it was a, it was, it was a uncomfortable proposition that I just couldn't turn down. So I agreed to go to Necker Island. I went with my ex-wife and and my chief financial officer, who's the co-founder of Meeting Max. And we went to Necker. And so we get to Necker Island and there's a good myriad of different business people, different, you know, free spirits, but big thinkers, CEOs of large corporations, kind of a, yeah, like, Taking a look at that island is, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I didn't know there was so many buildings on it. Is that the main house on the end? That's actually, uh, I think that's Mosquito Island, which is Richard's other, that's that's his family home. Necker Island is where, yeah, that 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 one's Necker Island, but there's a hot tub on the top of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that's, that's, that's his living room in essence. Uh, nice. He's, he's got, a, he's got a hut that's, that's just down the hill from there, but I mean, kind of a, Kind of an iconic spot. Yeah. So the decision to go to Necker, which was uncomfortable to do, but the, the those who I was surrounded with, like those other people that were in attendance, who I obviously knew her, my friend who invited us and my ex-wife and, and my business partner. Um, but otherwise, it was a whole bunch of new, new, new people. So we went... Um, with no great expectations other than the fact that I, I had a feeling that there could be something significant that came from this. And I just didn't know what it was. I just knew it was the right thing to do. So we get to Necker and you know, like I ended up um, connecting with a couple people. One guy who, you know, when you meet someone that's like, oh, we're gonna be brothers forever. You know, like, and I didn't know what he did. He didn't know what I did. It n- made no difference, neither here nor there. And, over the course of several days, and it just so happened that it was my 39th birthday while I was at Necker, which may be also one of the mo- my motivations to be like, what's cooler than spending my birthday party at Necker Island having Richard Branson spray you with Vogue champagne, right? Yeah. Like, it's not so bad. So I'm complaining to this guy, his name is Nick, and I'm complaining to him at dinner about the fact that my 39th birthday party is on Necker Island in Richard Branson's living room what on earth could I possibly do for my 40th? It's kind of anticlimactic because I was like, I've reached the pinnacle and it's like my 40th, I'm going to go to 
Denny's and watch a movie, maybe? Yeah, like, don't even try. There's, yeah, it's not even worth it, right? I'm just going to stay home and be a hermit. And so I was just jokingly saying that this is, you know, this is the climax of my life and I'll never have a birthday party like this. And he said, challenge accepted. I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, I'm going to make your 40th birthday bigger than your 39th. And I was like, I was like, I don't know how you intend on doing that because I will remind you we're in Richard Branson's living room. And so I said, well, how are you going to accomplish that? And he said that he owned a fairly iconic place in New Zealand. Now, I know of one and only iconic place in New Zealand, and it was called the Kim.com Mansion. And I don't know whether you remember, in the early BitTorrent days, there was a guy in the U.S. that changed his name to Kim.com, and he was like the, the founder of Mega Downloads or Mega Uploads or, or something like that. It became world famous. The Kim.com mansion became famous because he was wanted for tax evasion in the United States. So he fled to New Zealand and he started renting this place from the Heinz family, you know, the ketchup people. Yeah. It became world famous because New Zealand and the United States, the FBI, did some sort of, I don't know what it's called, but you know, when like they worked together and the New Zealand authorities allowed the FBI to come to New Zealand and raid the Kim.com mansion to get this guy who was wanted for tax evasion and illegal everything. Because back then you can't, you know, the whole, this is like the Napster days, like, like, you know, but this was like mega uploads or mega downloads or whatever the company was called. You could basically watch every movie and it was just complete piracy. Yeah. So it became world famous. And this was the only place that I knew was a quote unquote iconic place in New Zealand. I was like, Nick, do you own the Kim.com mansion? And he says, yes, I do. No way. And so it turns out um, Nick is a a billionaire in the toy business, the children's toy business. And if you you have any child in your life, you may be familiar with one of their iconic toys, which is the water balloons that you can uh, turn on the, the, the hose in the backyard and it blows up a hundred water balloons in 60 seconds. <laughs> it's called bunch of balloons. Yeah. And it is a global sensation and he's created, <laughs> and it's not just that he's got lots of, lots of, but that that's one that is in predominantly a lot of households. I don't know that one, but it sounds super fun. I imagine it's like really long. You load up all the balloons. It's so it's really clever in that you hook it up to the tap outside Yeah, and there's a hundred straws. And each one of the straws has a balloon on the end Preloaded. with a little with a little elastic band. And so it fills it up. And when it gets heavy enough, it falls off. And closes But the, the, the elastic, which is across here, when it's heavy enough, falls off. And the elastic holds the, the balloon. No way. A hundred water balloons in 60 seconds. You don't have one of these? No. Never heard of I it. I mean, come on. <laughs> you have, I need it. You have children in general. Oh, I see life. that. A bunch of balloons. There you go. That's so this kind of cool. changed the world of like being able to like the water balloon thing was difficult because it would take you longer for to blow one up and yeah. tie it off and then go throw Nightmare. it at your buddy. Yeah. This you could do in 60 seconds. And he's a billionaire off this. And, and a like lot this. of other. Yeah, yeah, a lot of other and self-made. Uh, obviously, you know, I generated a reasonable amount of success enough to buy the Kim.com mansion, which was the place that I knew of. So he said, I'm going to throw your birthday party at my place in New Zealand. And you can invite 32 people because the house sleeps 32. 
and we're going to throw a five day birthday party for you. And so I invited uh, friends, including some friends in, in the world of EO, uh, my forum, most of my forum came and uh, we had a five day birthday party. Now, I tell this story because one of the birthday party nights, like the Saturday night was like the party party. And so we had like a, a guest list of 300 people. We had hired security. We brought in DJs from, um, from Australia and Fiji. And this was going to be a party. And so Nick was like, Jeff, do you mind if I invite a few of my friends to your party? And I was like, Nick, I am in your house. Yeah. You invite whoever you want into your house. You're yeah. welcome. And so I remember him having me jot down some names and all of them are a blur, but one of them sticks into my mind. And he had said that I'm going to invite a friend of mine who was on this little reality TV show uh, in New Zealand called Heartbreak Island. And he had me write down Harry Jowsey. So I write down Harry Jowsey and add it to the list that then got sent to security because the gate that... I mean, you saw the size of the property. It's like 60 acres. And so there's gates on either side and there's security on both sides to, to, to allow people entry. Um, so I met Harry Jowsey that night of my 40th birthday party. And again, you find people that you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be tight with these people. And Harry, I just, just got to be friends. He was like a super ambitious. I think he was like 21 at the time. Super ambitious kid. Um, just, we just hit it off. And so he and I became friends over the course of, you know, the next um, year and a half. And I started um, just helping him off the side of my desk because he was aspiring. He had ambition. He was, he, he, he would hustle. But I also knew that if he was going to, he at the time he had maybe 56,000 followers on Instagram, but I knew that if I knew that there was some structural things that would probably that I have some, I could lend some assistance to that would help him on creating a bit of a framework or a bit of a, um, a foundation to adequately ramp up his success off the set of my desk, 5% of my time. And he, he reached out to me one day and he's like, Hey, I'm coming to Vancouver. And by the way, I got cast on a reality TV show that's going to be on Netflix. I was like, okay, well, reality TV was relatively new to Netflix then. Um, there was a, a handful of shows that had that had hit, but nothing had hit really, really significantly big. But I was like, Netflix is a big enough platform that it might make some sense to like, let's maybe be mindful about shoring up. And if you, you know, you should consider if you want to be in Los Angeles, then we're going to need to talk immigration and taxation. And then the, my main purpose, because there was nothing Harry could do for me. My main purpose was it was just important for me to make sure that Harry was going to be positioned the best possible way that he could. And so uh, David Ebert, who's my business partner at, uh, at Meeting Max, and I were chatting in an airport lounge, and he's like, you know what? Maybe we could help Harry and like go on as management, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a piece of you know, stuff in his world, but let's, let's just, even though there's nothing in his world, but like, let's just, you know, we can at least provide our assistance and, and, and also, provide him a backstop in case he runs out of cash leading up to it. And like, let's just give him a safety net and make sure that he doesn't, you know, that the sharks will be swarming potentially if the show does well. So let's just make sure we, we take care of him. And so we uh, struck up a deal with Harry to become his quote unquote manager. And 
it was right shortly thereafter that COVID hit and meeting max, I already talked about our revenue decrease. And so I reached out to Harry and I said, Hey, you know how we've been working on your stuff, trying to properly prep you up for what could come. I said, I think I'm going to have more time than the, my 5% on my side of my desk. Like, I think I probably double down on some of this stuff. Let's really dial it up. And he said, Oh, well, he said, if you want to, um, if, if you have more time, like I appreciate it. Like up until now, I knew every moment that you would spend somewhere else or with someone else that I'd get a little bit less, but if you got lots of time, he goes, I'll introduce you to my girlfriend, Francesca. And so met uh, Francesca, who was from Vancouver and Harry. And then right around the same time, Tiger King came out and I was watching Tiger King because of COVID as was the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, it, huge. But, but Tiger King came out just before the global lockdown. It became a huge success and everyone started watching it because it's just such a train wreck. Like it is the most remarkable story. It, just watching it unfold and it's like, am I actually watching? Is this reality TV? Yeah. Or is this, you know, is That's this scripted? Wild. Is this like the fact that you're watching a documentary of filming a documentary of this thing that's unfolding was just mind blowing. And I saw on Tiger King, the Tiger King's husband, Dylan. And so I had, I've been looking up uh, some of the people on the show. Cause I was curious. I looked at Joe exotic on Instagram. I looked at, um, I looked at, you know, a number of people and then I looked at Dylan and I saw he was at like 12,000 followers on Instagram. I thought, Oh, okay. Well, you know, this is within the first couple of weeks of the show hitting. And so closed Instagram, went to bed. The next morning I opened up Instagram, Dylan's profile is up again, and he gained like 23,000 followers since I went to sleep. So I was like, okay, if I was Dylan, I'd be freaking out a little bit right now. And so uh, I sent him a DM and I'm like, hey, Dylan, um, you don't know me, but I have a feeling that you're probably sitting here going, what is going on with you know my social? And I was just trying to give him some guidance, like to be making sure that he's properly, you know, looking at the DMS for actual opportunities, like media stuff that you probably don't want to take versus do want to take. And then like just giving him some guideposts, he replied back right away. And he said, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, well, let's jump on a call and we can have a conversation. So after the conversation, he's like, I need everything that you're telling me about. And so we signed Dylan and then we had Harry and Francesca under management and then Too Hot to Handle came out the week that the world was stuck inside. And if you want to talk about, you know, luck being opportunity and preparedness meeting, the How opportunity was, was, and there's no reason why the perfect, the success of Too Hot to Handle was predicated on the fact that everyone's stuck in their houses. Everyone wants an escape because no one wants to be stuck in their houses. And everyone wants just the brain numbing ness of reality TV in a smutty dating Which is what it show. is. And you probably can't say it, but I definitely can. I, I've seen it. You owe me like, I don't know, 40 hours of my life because I've seen them all. Did you? Oh, so let me guess. You did your due diligence. I did. And that's why you watched all of the show. No, I knew we'd be talking. I thought I'd better watch every episode of every season. <laughs> did you watch every episode of every season? Yeah. That's more than 40 hours. Uh, it's so many hours. And I have it on uh, when I work out at home. Ah. It's inspirational. <laughs> okay. So I think we what can look all... like those guys and wow, look at those girls. I think we can all agree that this was not due diligence on your side. <laughs> if you're watching it, you've watched more to our channel than I've watched. 
Oh, that's embarrassing. But it is your fault, though, because you told me about it. You know, I didn't even know about the show until until you told me about your experience with it. And so it's you, man. <laughs> what well, are we looking at here? Who's that? Uh, that's Jake Paul. There's Harry and Francesca on the right hand side. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And that's Harry. I don't know. Jake, Jake Paul's in there as well. People but yeah, have, this is the early days of, of Harry as the as the show dropped on Too Hot to Handle. Yeah. And he is so likable on that show. I remember him. He is. I mean, I think I think the success Harry's success is primarily connected to the fact that what you see is exactly what you get, that there's no persona. Like it's not like you you get that sense, the veneer of people when you watch them to be like, Well, who are they actually? Yeah. You know, That's or actually you, him. Yes. And you I, I think we all subconsciously get that vibe when it's like not really the person yeah, authentic right? or not authentic exactly and he's exactly who he is yeah. and that's that's how he portrays himself because that is who he yeah, is yeah and it works yes and he blew up and francesca blew up and the tiger king blew up yeah and at the point that uh we had the primary stars uh from the f number one and number two uh largest reality tv shows in the world because of global lockdown was the point that we had uh, access to more talent than we could ever shake a stick at. Yeah. Like, and your managers tell people the difference between uh, management and maybe an agent. Cause I think a lot of people get them mixed up. Yeah. I think, um, so an agent's job is to go find, to hunt business and bring business to talent. Um, and they get paid for business that they bring, or in some cases, all, all business that exists in the talent's life. Management is a little bit more comprehensive. Uh, managers are proper management wraps like an umbrella around a talent's entire life from accounting, finance, bookkeeping, legal, um, brand sponsorships for sure, but also TV and film strategy, strategic planning. When do you LLC and what state and when do you S corporate? Um, you know, what is your investment strategy? You know, we're not investment advisors, but at what point do we bring in, you know, a, a financial planner? Um, we basically, I mean, we, we become the main hub of a talent's whole life down to talent. Sometimes like, Hey, can I afford this Lamborghini or could I buy this, you know, this condo in, in Miami? And the answer is not yes or no. It's like, let's look at the data and you got an 18 month rolling cash flow and what's known income and known expenses and projected income and what needs to happen. You know, what's the cause and effect if this comes in, then what does that do to it? So, um, yeah, we're, we're basically, a um, all encompassing arm that also stakes a claim in a, in a talent's entire life. It, as, at least as it pertains to the entertainment industry. So we stake a claim on everything, regardless of whether it comes in from outside or whether we go and mine it and bring it to where we're, we're staking claim on, on that talent's whole entertainment career in exchange for giving them and working them through and being the team of people that, uh, that can help them make good strategic business decisions. Yeah, I get it. And the benefit to them is, uh, peace of mind, um, you know, making their life easy, sure, certainly do so much for them, keep them better organized. A lot of the stuff comes on pretty quickly and it's probably overwhelming and you just sort of have this like, we're taking care of everything feeling and right. they can just do their thing, be themselves. Yeah. And you can imagine how it would feel if you were 18 or 19. I mean, some of our clients are you know, as, as young as 17 years old. What would it feel at 17 years old to be like thrown into the ring of all of a sudden there is millions 
of eyes on you. Like the pressure. I was telling you the pressure of how it would feel to be a clown waving at cars. That is nothing compared to what the realities are for people in the in the world of social when you've got 10 million followers on TikTok watching everything that you're doing. Everything's under a microscope and you're just trying to figure yourself out at the same time because you're 17 years old. Mm. I mean, you wonder why there's, you know, that people have challenges, you know, in relationship to mental health and all the other aspects of it, mm -hmm. let alone the fact that there's pressure from the content creator or influencer to look great in everything that they do. And now all the tens of millions of people watching them feel like shit themselves because they don't look like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see it's fraught with a whole lot of issues. And I know where you are now with your, with your business, but going back to that, that sort of boom, you know, the COVID top two reality shows and uh, several of the stars of those shows, you know, in your, in your stable, so to speak, and your phone's ringing with other reality TV stars that, that, you know, maybe part of lesser shows or other shows. How do you discern like who's the right type of client and who's not? I think the, the big, and we went through some, you know, our determination of how properly to scale and who would be good clients. Cause we thought, well, maybe the recipe is like, you know, Harry was, was a phenomenal client. Maybe we just got to rinse and repeat and maybe season two too hot to handle is the right. Maybe we just need to do that again. I think our realization is that in order for talent to make sense, to have management, that they need an overly complex life with a lot of opportunities and they need a, I don't have all the answers. I need good, strategic business decisions made by experts that know what they're doing as opposed to, I don't know, maybe I just want to be an OnlyFans model and, or, and, or that's the only real opportunity that's, that, that's come to fruition. Yeah. So what was next after, you know, you got enough reality TV stars. Um, I know you, you OnlyFans, content creators, influencers, how did you get into that market? I think, um, they, they all meld into each other. So, you know, someone who's a TikToker is probably an Instagrammer and someone who's an Instagrammer may very well be a Twitch streamer. Someone who's in YouTube has Instagram and TikTok and Twitch. Some of them are on reality TV and that that's their primary. So we talk about like it's reality TV native, like that's where they started and then they branched into the following places. I think for us, like the the perfect example of, of the ideal objective that we're looking for is, you know, like I use the example of Harry Styles, like Harry Styles is famous because he's Harry Styles. That's it, right? He's Harry Styles. Like that's all I need to say. Less people go, oh, that's Harry Styles from One Direction. And even less people than that say, well, that's One Direction from the reality show factor, X Factor. Yeah. In essence, about that. Harry Styles is a reality TV star. Yeah. He came from X Factor, Ooh, which just one. came to One Direction, which became Harry Styles. Yeah. That's a perfect example of getting famous and using the leap pad from one opportunity to the next to get to a place of, well, people forget where you came from because you are just famous because you're you. Right. Yeah. Your brand transcends the, the history, the part of your history that is humble, you know, reality TV show beginnings. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. It's a very good example. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what we ultimately are looking to accomplish. Yeah. And we were talking about Harry Jowsey and, 
there was a point where Harry and I were um, just walking out of Boa Steakhouse in LA and there was like a little argument from a little group of girls that were outside and people come to Boa just to be like, they just stand out there to get pictures because there's going to be stars coming and going. And so I overheard the argument that they were having. And one of them is like, Hey, that's Harry from, uh, from that Netflix show. And the other one goes, no, 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 that's Harry. He's part of the hype house on TikTok." And then another one's like, no, 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 that's Harry. He's like, yeah, he's a YouTuber. He has a podcast on, on, on YouTube. And I thought there is a good indication on what we're looking to accomplish because that confusion yeah. magnified equals the Harry Styles as Harry Styles. You don't remember him as a reality TV yeah. star. And so I think that that comes about from for sure. I mean, Harry was provided, Harry Jowsey was provided an opportunity to have a, like a large base of followers to start with, but the guy hustles every single day. And he, he, what's great about Harry is he's out hustling and making great connections and looking for opportunities and looking to create. And then he's smart enough to spin up ideas and conversations and concepts that maybe he even, he doesn't fully understand what it could be. He just smells opportunity there. And then he brings it to his team, drops it on the table and going, figure this out. I don't know what to make of this. Yeah, you guys, something here. you guys work it. And then he's out the door to go do more of it. And so that's awesome. it. I think that, and I think the other, the other, the other piece that, that makes Harry really successful is Harry's the first guy to go. A lot of content creators will be like, well, management's going to take 20% of everything. And that'll leave me with 80%. And I think the difference in, in, in thought process is Harry's Harry was like, I want more people taking more of a percentage because I mean, I could have a hundred percent of a hundred thousand dollar pie, or I could have 25% of a billion dollar pie. And in order to get a billion dollar pie, I'm going to need to have a whole lot of people that are really good in their particular discipline and can allow me the time to do what only I can do, which is be Harry Jowsey yeah. and let them do stuff that I have no interest or yeah. ability to do. And I think that's that, that that's one of the biggest challenges that we run into, which is content creators that feel like, you know, this is a finite piece of, you know, this is a finite mm. pile of cash and you're going to be taking 20% of it as opposed to adjusting the thinking to yeah. go like, how do I make sure the pie continues to grow? And I use, I use Justin Bieber as an example. I mean, Justin maybe will keep 20 cents on the dollar if he makes, he's got a lot of people and you could say he's got a lot of people feeding at the table from the scarcity mindset. His mindset is I got a lot of people making a lot more pie for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what it is. A scarcity versus abundance. Totally. And how you look at it. Uh huh. Nice to have Harry as the model just because he's a friend first and, you know, his whole journey. And, totally. Yeah. Client number one. It's a cool story. Explain Twitch to me. I don't, I don't ever look at it. Um, predominantly streaming for games. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. There, there was there was this point where it seemed foreign to a lot of us old guys. Yeah. That people would log in to watch people play video games. Yeah. Max loves it. Yes. Well, so, so, so our thinking, our thinking yeah. is like, well, first of all, you should be out playing soccer on the field and then next, okay, if you have to play video games and play soccer, but to watch someone else playing video games and playing soccer, it just seems asinine. Yeah. The reality is, is that the people that are playing these video games are experts 
it's it's the equivalent of watching a professional soccer player yeah. because they're really good at what they do. And soccer is an example, but I, I would say, you know, there's tons of games that are that that people tune in and, and watch. Um I get it. And Twitch up, these yeah. are amazing players and the kids want to get better at the game and they they learn from the pros, you know, uh, how they do it. Totally. They also love it. They watch like a movie for them. Yeah. And here's here's happen. clicks. I mean, people are watching him play Fortnite right now. And there's 14,000 people right now watching clicks play Fortnite. In real time. In real time. Yeah. This is what's happening right now. And he's running a commentary. And he's talking about what's going on. And sometimes it's just banter. And sometimes they've got they're they're playing with their friends. And so they're having a, you know, there's there's five of them. Uh, yeah. They're 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 all having a discussion about what's taking place. You but have a this, friend doing this too, right, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that you, got guy's, a, you got a friend that's a streamer? Yeah, small yeah, time. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. the 14,000 is Still. a huge number, but they can have uh, like 1,000 people watch them and be making money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Twitch is, um, the, the value of a Twitch follower is considerably, it, it's it, it's very high. If we go in order, like a Twitch a, a Twitch follower, a subscriber. So 1,000 is a huge number on Twitch. Like if you even had 100 people watching you, are you successful got, on Twitcher? Yeah. I mean, if you've got um, like subscribers and the ability for people to actually be paying monthly to, to the Twitch streamer. Um, down from there is like a, like a YouTube, uh, follower, uh, down below that in terms of value is an Instagram follower. And then below that would be a TikTok follower just in terms of like the value of each, the value they're of each, equal. they're not equal and yeah. they're not equal based on it's, I mean, it's horrible, but it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's not equal based on what country that they're coming in from. Like a, a follower in the United States is worth more than a follower in other countries. Um, just based on pure demographical stuff. So how does Twitch work? Do you, where does the money come from? Advertising or do you have to pay to watch these players pay or do you choose to pay? Um, you can choose. Like you can choose yeah, to- like Substacks model. Yeah. 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 And um, you know, it's like you look at the models like, you know, you, you get uh, like YouTube for example. And there's monetizable content on YouTube and there's non-monetizable content. There's some- uh, content creator. So I'm actually, uh, next, the week after next, I'm heading down to South by Southwest and we have a content creator session that I created, uh, to bring in Danny Duncan, who's a huge YouTuber, uh, and Harry Jowsey to do a little joint session, like a content creator meetup. Um, Danny's content is a good example of content that's not monetizable primarily because the type of content and the fact that he, doesn't want so Harry uh, Sir Danny doesn't doesn't does is not interested in monetizing his content. You'll never see ads that come up on his thing. He's making Danny Danny <laughs> makes most of his money from a from a clothing brand called Virginity Rocks, which he created and has created a global business empire on this clothing brand that my fifteen year old lives in. Really, he's so excited about Virginity Rocks which is kind of tongue in cheek. Like I, I feel like we're, you know, when we're walking somewhere and I think disproportionately that there's people that, that are judging me in a good way to be like, you're raising your son the right way. <laughs> <laughs> and my son's like, if you knew what this friend was about, I don't think that virginity is, uh, is this. So is, uh, is this guy a virgin? Is that what he's saying? Or is it really tongue in cheek? It's totally tongue in cheek. Yeah. 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 He's just, he's, he's a wild, uh, yeah, yeah, Danny's a ton of fun. My kids, uh, my kids love Danny Duncan, 
and the fact that we've created a session at South by, and I'm bringing my kids down. They so they're so cool. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna get a chance to to meet and hang out with Danny Duncan, which uh, which makes me dad number uh, yeah. a a plus one or yeah, something. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow, if you had a lot of reality TV stars calling you, you must have like just so many content creators calling you, you know, figuring out like, okay, I've got X followers or how many followers do I need to get you guys to represent me? Yeah. Like, how do you wade through all that stuff? But yeah. I mean, it's, 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 so we don't discriminate based on the type of talent that they have. We discriminate based on the audience size and we won't really, we're not super interested in talent. If it's, if they're native to Instagram, if that's their primary platform, maybe at about a million followers, maybe, might be higher if they're uh TikTok primary, then they should probably be uh, somewhere around six million yeah. TikTok followers. Um if it's YouTube, it can be less. Like if if they're sitting with three quarters of a million uh to a million sub subs on on YouTube, that, that could That's be lucrative. Legit, yeah. Depending on the type of um audience that they've got. Financial services, the value of a million followers inside of financial services is probably eight X other, you know, areas, um, you know, uh, and the type of following that, that content creators have. So women who have predominantly male audience is less valuable than women who have predominantly a female audience. So it's like kind of an algorithm to be like, what's the, what's the demographic of your follower, your age category, and then some of the, like the, you know, what, what's their, um, what's it called? What are they making? They're making money. That's their, yeah. I mean, their income, their, I don't know what you mean. Salary. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying like, uh, revenue. Yeah. It's what the follower has in terms of disposable income yeah. is important. Yeah. And then it's where they're located and it's who they are. And then if you have, uh, let's say a smoke show Instagram model that has 5 million followers and 98% of them are men, it's still a value but it's not nearly the same value as a woman who maybe her followers are because it's, you know, mom and baby or a couple or something like that, where it's predominantly other women that are following that are older and have a higher disposable income. I get it. So I don't know. It's, there's no hard, fast rule. We just look primarily for audience size and then complexity of their life. Because if we're going to step in and surround them with a whole, team of experts mm. that we want to make sure that, that their life is complicated enough to warrant all of the value. services totally. that, that we can add to. Otherwise it's like, you don't need management. Yeah. Maybe you just need an agency to go get you brands. Yeah. You probably tell a lot of people that. Yes. And then there's that scarcity versus abundance mindset, right? Because mm -hmm. that is uh, I bet that's very common where um, I bet, well, I don't know. What do I know about it? Nothing other than probably some people that get interested are, um, you know, some people that reach out to you are, are, are thinking, like I'm taking over the world and others are like, I feel so grateful. Like what's happened. I don't know how it happened. I want to milk it for every dollar it's worth. And, uh, all of a sudden your commission becomes a problem at that point. Probably. Yeah. I think that, um, those content creators that have the ability to realize that maybe it won't be forever. That's good. But those that say I'm willing to, as the opportunity sits in my lap at the moment, I'd be an idiot for not fully capitalizing on the opportunity that I have at this moment. Yeah. And 
if they determine that they probably don't have the right skill sets to be able to make those decisions because they're 23, yeah, that bodes very well for going, well, let's get a team of people that know what the fuck they're doing yeah. so that they can actually help me make better decisions where the talent can become the CEO, but they've got an entire management team that, you know, and you know, in, in your business, I mean, you could be the boss, but you're like, well, every one of these people that I have doing stuff are actually better at what they're doing than I am at that, at that thing. Right. Yeah. I get it. Totally. And that's the mindset yeah. that they need. But that is also rare for everyone to have, let alone someone who's 24 years old. Yeah. What is your brand, by the way? I can't remember what the management brand is called. Ingenuity Live. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's cool. What's the story behind that? Uh, one of our, so Meeting Max, one of Meeting Max's core values we determined was ingenuity everywhere. And originally the adaptation of that, we, we had this, we had this core value of at Meeting Max that we mined out that said, do more with less. And we had it for a couple of years and I realized we back to the abundance, your comment about abundance versus scarcity that I realized the unintended consequences that we're making decisions from a scarcity mindset that we were saying we have to have less. We have to do more with the little that we have. And it really magnified when one of our developers was like, we were doing like a, like a, um, a postmortem on, you know, a bug that occurred or something that happened on the application. And the developer was like, Oh, well, um, I elected to use that because it was nine ninety nine a month. Cause the alternative was that the, that the, the next level up was, you know, one ninety nine a month. And you know, it's about doing more with less. And I was like, but this actually just cost us probably $28,000. So the do more with less wasn't actually serving us. Um, so as we went through and like, we refined our core values as we do on, on an annual basis, we were like, let's get closer to what it is that we, what's important to us. And it wasn't about doing more with less. It was about having that sense of ingenuity, getting ingenious with how we were doing it. And maybe it's doing more with more, right? Like yeah. maybe it's like, let's get super creative and let's blow the budget out of here. Is that one plus one equals three? Is that where that comes from? Exactly. Yeah. And that is so ingenuity live. So uh, at meeting max, the core value was ingenuity everywhere. And I felt like as I reflected on my life, that ingenuity was probably one of my strongest personal core values. And so when we were coming up with how to name the talent management company, I was like, ingenuity everywhere. Like that's, that's the essence like that, that, you know, ingenuity. And then the live piece was the fact that this is live. Like it's, you know, it's going. And, but then the core value I was like, no, no, actually the core value is that we can take one and one and make it three. So like the v sum is greater than the value of the parts. And, uh, that was, that, that was, that was the first value that I could, uh, decipher. That was the easiest one. Cool, man. I was just like, my mind just wandered thinking about all the stuff you, that this business gets you into like only fans, you know, and what a huge business that has become. And I was chuckling thinking about, uh, someone I met uh, one night who said that she made 30 grand a month uh, on OnlyFans and I couldn't believe it. 
I just had no idea that people were making that much money and she wasn't even famous. Yeah. I mean, she was obviously famous on that platform, I suppose, but not a famous person by any. At 30 grand a month, she's not even famous on the platform. Really? Yeah. I, wow. I couldn't believe it. I was just yeah. so blown away. I said, well, I'm doing what? And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't resist, right? Creeper. But she brought it up, right? So I'm like, doing what? And she's like, well, let it. A lot of ass stuff, you know, like people like my ass. And uh, anyways, it, that's where the conversation ended. But it was, it blew my mind. And you're saying that's like small potatoes now. I Listen, OnlyFans was, if, if you, if I was a, if I had the opportunity to invest in the early days, I would not have invested. Because uh, all of us would be like, well, you can get anything you want for free online. Yeah. Like why would, why would someone pay a monthly subscription or get a free subscription and then, pay for unlockable content when you can get all of that content, That's interesting all of that, looking at it. all of that like content on the internet. Right. Well, isn't it that, isn't it like the porn industry's webcams thing that they've taken and somewhat legitimized or is that not it? Cause I honestly have never looked at, it. I don't know how it works. I, I mean, I appreciate you playing stupid for this, but um, <laughs> I have seen the cam good at cam good only fans, uh, top spending account, but okay. So sure. Let's play the game. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that the reason why the only fans has worked and I never would have seen it. It didn't make any sense to me until now. It makes sense to me um, that if you have a person that you follow and that is in the public eye, let's just use that as an example, because there's also like pure play only fans models. The only place is that, that it was started legit without like the ass stuff. Like, did it start with just like, hey, we can connect, you know, on this platform privately um, without any nudity? Yeah, listen, OnlyFans, they, there's some some accounts that have um, pull up like OnlyFans cooking classes. Oh. And like, like, I haven't think, heard about that part of it. Th think of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he gets all of his uh, omelet recipes from. Yeah. I know, I know, I know what's going on here. But there, there's, there, there are, it's basically a pay gate in between the consumer and what the consumer wants to get access to. Yeah. And so that could be a star who's doing cooking. It could be, uh, it just happens to be, you know, that the, the, the brush that is painted with in the majority of the time is that there's a, an adult component to it, but there's also very successful creators that exist that don't go very far on the platform and still make a lot of money. It can, you can still have PG rated content. Um, and, you know, I guess the, the first like big star to blow it up, which created a whole bunch of controversy is Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne was a Disney TV star and she started OnlyFans. And I don't know what the data shows, but like Bella Thorne made like a million dollars in the first, like, I don't know, like the first hour or something. Let's get no the, way. let's get a fact check on there. Cause I just make it up, but wow. Let's see what it says. How much money of Bella Thorne? Go down to the next one. People ask. One million in her first day and crash the site. Yes. So, wow. and this this is an example of like, and she she doesn't even do full nudity, and there's no porn related to this, and she's still a top creator. Wow. But she was like one of these first this crossover where it wasn't like you weren't um, you weren't an OnlyFans model and that's what you were doing. This yeah. was Bella being like everyone's like, oh, I know Bella Thorne. I've seen her on Disney. 
And, and now she's on OnlyFans and other stars like Tyga. What, what does she do? She just talk to people or did she show? No, no, breasts? no. She's she. Yeah, yeah. She's showing, she's showing scantily clad stuff, but yeah. it's PG. Like, Oh really? Yeah. Like it's not it's sexy, uh, but it's not porn. Exactly. But I think the key is, is the only place that you can get it is there. Yeah. Right. So if you got someone that you like and you follow and you want more of them, are you willing to pay nine ninety nine a month or are you willing to subscribe for free and then unlock a piece of content for $8 or $15 or whatever the case is? Not me. There isn't a person in the world I would pay $8 to do anything that I could look at. That is bizarre. Ask my, you know, 19, 15 year old self and uh -huh. the answer might be different, but yeah. zero interest. Yeah. it's and, and I tell content creators who are on OnlyFans that the key to them succeeding on OnlyFans is that they need to be a personality first, that, that they need to be primary on Instagram. Like they need to have, they need to be a legitimate person outside of OnlyFans First, yeah. for people to be like, okay, well I see him in his clothes all the time, or I see her in her, you know, I see her in this beautiful dress. The only place I can get maybe a little of that dress off might be OnlyFans yeah. and they're willing to pay for it. Yeah. There's so many people creating free content out there um, that they just jumped in and, and had a plan that you said neither of us would have invested in because everything that they're offering to make people pay for is available for free, mm -hmm. but it's working. It's massive. How much do they take? What's that company doing in revenue now? I mean, uh, I don't know what their revenue is. I think that they were, I don't know. I, I, I was just in London meeting with, with them because we have some significant uh, content creators that are on the platform, but their annual revenue is substantial. It's in the billions. I don't know whether it's for... Uh, that's not, what's as of 900 million as of 2021, they're in the billions now. Really? They've doubled yeah. twice since yeah. then. Yeah. No way. Yeah. 2022. Let's see what it says. Two and a half. Like how, how's that for, from 21 to 22? Yeah. From nine, nine to 2.5? Yeah. Not bad. Pretty, pretty, pretty big hockey stick. That's a hockey stick. Yes. And, and I think, people. I think, the, I think the key to their success is the fact that, like, as you said, the piggy, but it's about almost embracing like the super fan. Like there are a small subset of followers in people's lives that they're like, I will pay to get more access to them. Even if it's access to be able to send them a message. I went to the fan expo this weekend. Oh, town. I walked past it. Yeah. It was uh, cause star trackies were out. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, my 12 year olds just so mm -hmm. passionate into mm -hmm. it. What, it was, what, what is he into? Anime. Ah, yeah. Growing sector. Oh, huge. Yeah, there was all types. You know, I've never been to anything like that. And yep. there's a huge wall of the main area of the convention center. Uh, one whole wall was all like the celebrities in a booth where people would line up to, uh, to you know, get an, I would say autograph because mm -hmm. I'm fucking ancient. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, but it's, it's it's a meet and greet. It's a selfie. It's a or, selfie. Yeah, yeah, totally. Who cares? Who wants a piece of paper with a scribble on it? Yeah. But I don't know what the hell it is. It's probably a selfie and it's a chat and mm -hmm. it's two minutes and move on. Um but man, there were like so many anime celebrities there. I guess mm. it's the voice mm. uh, or perhaps the artist. I don't know. But uh, I'll say like a third of all of these booths were, were this category. It's it uh, super fun. He's dressed up. People are taking his picture. Oh, I mean, just, just uh, I used to because the anime conference in Vancouver was one of meeting maxes for a number of years. And just taking the kids to go watch the conference 
like just even just walk around outside of the convention center. It's super and people watching is on point. Oh, they dial. I'm going to be honest. I took my laptop and my iPad. because I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to have to just check out, get some work done in this thing. I just lugged them around. I didn't look at them once. It was like so good. The people watching was amazing. It's uh, some of the lengths that people go to. Are and my, my point is that, top. that I got a good hit off what you're talking about. The super fan mm -hmm. target market. Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by super fans at this thing. I never experienced it before, but I decided it was, it's a beautiful thing. I love their passion. I love pe people letting their passion out, letting their freak out. You know, there was this wonderful, you know, the whole, there's a big cosplay scene at this thing. And there's a weird sort of like cosplay thing where all the kids are dressed up, but then there's all these sexy swinger types that are also, mm -hmm. you know, dressed up and, uh, and the sign that says, cosplay is not consent please ask before touching and all this kind of stuff it's weird mixed in with all the kids but i know it's separate uh, just common interests that people never grow out of or totally grow back into or or people were never f maybe free to express before yeah you know you look at the, a like lot the, of freedom of expression like the, there. The, the, the furries right yeah. like people that get dressed up as animals uh -huh. and that's a whole subsector of like people that just feel like that's what they're called to do. And is it any different than, you know, if you determine you like X or you like Y, like is it, is, is it now just at a place where, you know, I look at generation, generationally, um, the difference between you, when you and I were kids versus now, and there's a lot more freedom of expression yeah. to be like, Oh, it's cool. Like you are who you are. You are, you, you like what you like, yeah. you enjoy, dressing up you enjoy whatever you enjoy it just it's it's a lo lot more socially acceptable now probably not the same extent like our age when you know people there, there, there'd be but, but there'd be a cast judgment on going oh this is weird and then you get into the 18 year olds and they're like oh it's not weird they're just being them yeah and that's kind of cool max told me he was straight the other day <laughs> like no but the he told me it like he was telling me his favorite color mm -hmm. and that was the beauty of it Right. Yeah. It was, that was it. There wasn't, it wasn't loaded. Yep. It wasn't a big thing. It was just something, you know, he's just at puberty. He's figured sure. out for himself. Sure. And, uh, he's like, Hey, I've determined this is what yeah. I like. I considered all options and yeah. just thought you'd want to know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. Short conversation, <laughs> but beautiful. Yes. Love it. Anyway, my experience with those super fans was that they're awesome and they love it. I got caught up in it and it's super fun. I love the freedom of expression it was a ton of commerce happening there. There's just one booth after another and all of these beautiful crafts, people making their wacky shit. Yes. And people like me buying it. You know, I bought a couple lightsabers, bought this weird cuff <laughs> thing that I'm never going to wear again. Uh, but I wore it that day. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. So that's the target market of this pay gate mm -hmm. of fan, only fans is uh, it's the super fans. Super yeah. Fans. Who's willing to pay to get more access, regardless of what the reason for the access or what is behind the pay gate. It's, there's a, again, I, I, I guess it depends on the creator, but there's a percentage and there's probably a scientific formula for it. I haven't figured it out, but a certain percentage of people in anyone's world that's willing to part with their cash to get more access to a person. Yeah. If that's, they want the ability to get a DM over to that person, they know that they're going to get read and maybe responded to versus, mm -hmm. you know, someone who sends a message on Instagram is just, just going into the request box and probably will never get looked at. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, people are willing to pay to get access to people. I was just laughing, thinking about uh, a friend of mine uh, for my sister-in-law for her birthday had a celebrity singer 
happy birthday and do a big monologue. And I forget what the platform was, but cameo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was blown away because I hadn't heard of it. So I see this happening. I'm like, who knows somebody that made this happen? Because right. it wasn't all logoed up. It was yeah. actually pretty cool. The yeah. version I saw. Yeah. But yeah, super cool. This this direct access facilitated by the internet and the platforms is uh, is changing celebrity. So how do you steer your clients? Is that the agent's job or it must be yours because it's part of the whole package, right? Yeah. How do you steer them into the temptation of like, you know, showing their dick on, on uh, OnlyFans mm. or not? I think, uh, you know, we tell content creators that there's no right or wrong answer to all the avenues that they have access to it's always pointed back to what their long-term vision for themselves is. I know you had John Mara on the, uh, on the, on the podcast talking about, you know, his life, but certainly EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system is, is, is pretty significant in his world at the moment. And so we've adapted aspects of that in terms of how we function and how we relate to talent. So, I mean, the first, the very first thing we do is we work with talent to determine what their painted picture looks like. So it's written in present tense. It's three years from today. We don't go five years, 10 years. I mean, we're talking about an 18 year old. It's not, you know, if we say, what's it going to be like when you're 97? It's like, there's no point in even asking. Um, the question is, is that what does it look like in three years? Cause it's like tangible, it's still far away, but it's tangible. Um, and then when we get like a crystal clear vision on what their three year vision looks like, then we can reverse engineer it into an annual strategic plan yeah. and we can work through quarterly sprints. We call them sprints in the software world. I think EOS calls it rocks, right? Quarterly rocks. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's how we function with talent. That's how we run talent, which is in essence an, an aspect of the EOS system. Yeah. So there, back to your question that there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. If that's where they want to go. Totally. I mean, I could use the example as, uh, okay, there's no right or wrong answer to murdering this guy on the street. Of course, there's a right or wrong answer, but yeah. there's, there's no right or wrong answer. So let's just open it up to say, if we kill this guy, let's look back to our three-year vision and say, is this decision going to impact any aspect of what our three-year vision is? And will it stop my ability to get any of those things done? Yeah. And the answer is all of those things on that three-year list are off the table if you go kill this guy. Yeah. So we should probably then make, it's not right or wrong. Yeah. It just happens to be a bad decision for your vision. But if you get too sexy on OnlyFans, you know, you're not getting a job with Disney ever. And so that's the other thing. It's like, okay, well, if we take a look at the three-year vision and say, these are the things you want to accomplish. And it's at, at the, you know, at the outset, OnlyFans in America had a heavy stigma toward it. It still does in Europe. It doesn't as much in America now. Predominantly because a lot of very large creators, a lot of significant A-listers have adopted the platform. So the stigma became less because it's like, well, maybe it's not just about sex and porn. Maybe there's, you know, other stuff or maybe it's just access to someone who has you know, I can get more of them on this, on this particular platform. Yeah. But, um, the, the, the decision isn't, do we do it or do we not? It's all predicated based on the fact that, okay, extreme example, your three year vision says that you want to be the face of the Catholic church in three years time. <laughs> That's extreme. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, so does it make sense to do only fans? No. Cause your vision points in the direction that would preclude you from the ability to do that. 
uh, if you're, I want to be the face of Adidas in three years time. Okay. Well, let's look at points of data. And is that, is it going to be precluded at this moment? Mm, I don't know. I mean, that that would be an analysis to say, okay, who else is on the platform? What's taking place? What's going on in their world? And being able to pivot over the course of three years, because your three-year vision may change, as you know, in like the, the whole EOS system, you're going to look at it every year to say, well, this is what we wanted. Now, what do we want yeah. in three years time from there? Yeah, you're always moving that, kicking that down. Exactly. And market conditions change in business. And so do market conditions in the world of content creation. What was going to preclude you from getting a brand deal because you were on OnlyFans may no longer be the case in a year from now. Because someone else did it and it worked out fine. 100%. Things changed that quickly. 100%. Yeah, over the course of the last two years, three years, it's been significantly, significantly changed. And it doesn't mean, like in some cases, it doesn't make sense for talent because it's related to the fact that their vision at this moment, doing it would preclude them from. And then the answer is simple. We just look to True North and say, like, what is the, what's the right decision based on market conditions at this moment and where your vision's at? Yeah. And it's changing, evolving. It does. Yeah. But right now, that's the right decision. I get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that, that, uh, it's tempting to go there, though. I mean, they want to just make money. It's probably part of your job is like, you know, bringing them back to the long term plan, you know, as opposed to what's easy and lucrative. Exactly. And, and if it's like, hey, I can make a bag now, and let's just say that, uh, okay, well, that ticks the box, your three-year vision, you want to buy this place in LA and one in Miami, and you want to have access to you know a jet chair, and you want to, okay, all of those point in the right direction. But how important are these seven factors in your vision? Yeah. And right now, if you make that decision, those come off the list. Yeah. And it's okay, maybe those can come off the list, but we don't set the vision every day. Yeah. We set it on an annual basis. Yeah. And so we always use that vision, that painted picture, as the guidepost for how do we make a decision today. Yeah. How much do you love it? Love it. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah, you're lit up, man. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And I think that... um I think all aspects of what I've done leading up to this point has been great training ground for, you know, understanding business fundamentals, understanding how to work and interact with people, understanding negotiations and contracting and legal. Um, I think everything has been a good lead up to this really cool spot where we can cause good effect on the right people that are trying to create something significant in their life and we can become the most important, you know, hub in their life with all of our spokes to help them actually create something, Yeah, which is, which is kind of super neat, right? Super cool. Yeah. And I get the strategy behind it. It's like each one is a business plan. You know, might have a model that you take maybe all your clients through, let's say your, your, your proven process, so mm-hmm. to speak. But, uh, each client has a different goal, different strategy, and there's this hugely complex plan and team that goes into implementing. It's like a whole bunch of businesses. Yes. And I think from their standpoint, even like the biggest piece is when they get their vision solidified, they're like, I've never even actually articulated this. Like yeah. maybe it's been like, like you and I, when we, you know, go to build our plan for the future, there's something magical about actually getting to this place where you've committed it to writing, you've written it in a present tense and you're like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm working toward. Yeah. Like this is me in the future and there's something 
kind of cool about that, uh, that, that process Yeah, and seeing them see themselves in the future is definitely satisfying. Like it's really neat to have someone going, I've never spent the time to go through this. Yeah. And now I know what it looks like to be me, even though that might change. But at this moment, this is who I am in the future. And that's, that's kind of fun. Oh yeah, totally. It must be, I mean, is it all business or is there some quality of life stuff in there too that you end up being involved in it? It's almost, it's, it's very little business to be yeah. honest with you. Like the vision is it's funny. You only make money off the business. I know there's everything else that goes along with and it. And that's it. I mean, being holistic and looking at like the, the umbrella over a talent's whole life, it, the business piece often becomes a tiny, tiny little subset. Mm -hmm. It's where do you live? What do you do? Who you hang around with? You know, what are your tangible things that you have, but what are your intangibles? Like what's your mental health like? And what's your relationship with your parents like? And you know, wow. do you have a significant other? Do you have a dog and all aspects of their world just so that they can fully live in the future? Because mm -hmm. if they can live in the future and they can buy into that, then it's just like, okay, that's where we're direct. That's our, that's our true North at this moment. Yeah. Might change next year and it probably should change next year, but at this moment, that's the future. Mm -hmm. And we can use that as the guidepost to actually build a strat plan. Yeah. So it's, everyone knows now that being a content creator is a legit career, right? It's this brand new thing. And it's what, frankly, a lot of young kids want to be when they grow up, so to speak, or start sooner than later. There's almost no stopping them. Um, but that's obviously super legit, right? Is it, uh, is it realistic to someone who just has a plan or if, if there's people listening or, or if people in their lives they care about, they want to get started down this path or the one day, one day they could be a client of yours. Um, what do the first steps look like? It's amassing an audience. I think, um, the easiest place to build an audience is TikTok. Yeah. How does that work? Why is it so fast? Well, when you think about, um, Consider, are you on TikTok? I had it on my phone for a minute. Then I heard it was Chinese spyware and deleted it. <laughs> no, not anymore. Okay. I imagine you are. Yeah, I am. Actually, my kids make fun of me because they say that I was the only person in the history of the world that made a New Year's resolution that said I should spend more time on TikTok. <laughs> like I, 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 I legitimately made this resolution. Part of your work. You need to understand. I, and I was like, I'm just, I'm not inherently, I don't inherently gravitate toward it. I spend more time on Instagram. And I was like, you know what? I, yeah, kids, I just decided that I, I need to force myself to spend more time on TikTok. Yeah, so and they're like, did. dad, you are an idiot. Like yeah. no one has ever spoken those words before. <laughs> yeah. Like you're the first human on the face of this planet that has made that determination as Probably. a goal. Yeah. Right. But if you consider, um, so TikTok is the biggest, the easiest platform to grow on. Cause when you think about it, when you were on TikTok for that minute, TikTok is predominantly people that you don't follow with a peppering of people that you do follow. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. When you're scrolling through TikTok is incredibly good at the algorithm to determine what is of most interest to you and then delivering content to you from people you don't know to keep you entertained. Right. At the end of the day, TikTok is in business to exist, to keep and entertain people for as long as possible, collecting data, which is why you deleted it and delivering ads. Like that's the, if that the general premise behind Instagram and TikTok is let's captivate the audience as long as possible. Yeah. 
Um, but knowing the fact that TikTok is predominantly people you don't know makes it easier to grow on that platform. If you put that across Instagram, when you're scrolling through Instagram, it's predominantly people that you do know with the exception of a peppering of suggested post because you like this post, we're giving you this one because yeah. you like this person or interacted with this person's post, you're going to get this one, right? Yeah. So the TikTok numbers are high because you may not have very many followers of your own, but they've served your content to thousands and thousands and thousands of other people. Yeah. The TikTok algorithm works in that, um, when you post a TikTok video, it goes out to a small subset of your audience and it's determined whether it performed lesser than, equal to, or greater than other posts Yeah. than the average. Yeah. If it's determined that it's performing lesser than, the audience magnific magnification stops. Yeah. Equal to, it'll continue. Greater than, it's going to be provided to a greater subset of audience. The test is performed again. How did this do on a greater audience? Right. At the end of the day, keep in mind that TikTok is looking to provide relevant content that is going to keep people on the platform. And so what happens eventually with something that keeps performing better than the average is you end up with the guy that was on a skateboard drinking cranberry juice. I don't remember whether you, you guys remember that one. It became this global. Do you, do you remember it or no? no? Can you pull that out? Because that's um, th this video got. I, Jimmy Kimmel, it was on, it like, you name it. Everyone in the world except for Cam Good was talking about it. <laughs> I do not care. <laughs> but, so I get it. He drank cranberry juice while riding a skateboard. Yes. And, and but, who cares? But it's nonsensical. The fact that this became a gl this. Is this, there music playing? Yeah. And he's got a leaf tattoo on his, or not a leaf, but a feather tattoo on his, uh, in Kate, his hair. this became a global sensation. He okay. ended up becoming a household name. <laughs> Come on. Yes. And so this, this became huge. And how this occurs is it's applying the test of what's performing better. Remembering TikTok wants to provide people relevant and timely content. Yeah. Right. You end up with this snowball effect. How does TikTok know? Like if I shut off TikTok immediately while that video is playing, that gets a strike against it? Kind if of. I stay um, on, keep watching it. Enga engagement on. Check mark. Engagement on TikTok and Instagram works similarly. Uh, if you consider the fact that if on TikTok you watch the video through or continue to watch the video. Yeah. Uh, likes and shares are one of the big factors. Yeah. One of the big factors. So like switching gears to Instagram, Instagram is, I was just having this conversation with, with, with a client, the fact that Instagram is the analogy of like a casino where, you know, you, when you walk into a hotel and you check into the hotel and you, you notice you have to walk through the casino to get to your room and you have to walk through the slot machines always, right? Yeah. Slot machines take the biggest real estate in the entire place because they're the most lucrative to the casino. Yeah. That's why there's not all table games, yeah. right? It's mostly slot machines. Totally. So, and they force you to walk through the slot machines because they're hoping that there's a percentage of people, even if it's 0.05%, because maybe it's 2%. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter because it's by forcing people to walk through and it's never a straight line. 
right? Yeah, totally. You got to weave through here and pass there. And, and yeah. it's like, where's the rooms? Oh, you got to walk around that way. Like deliberately. Yeah. Totally. Right. I mean, architecture yeah. can make it a lot simpler to get to a hotel room. Yeah. But they do this because they are hoping that someone sits down on the slot machine and all they, you remember the slot machines used to have that arm that used to pull? Uh -huh. Well, that wasn't super efficient. What's more efficient? Button. Pressing a button. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Max bat, max bat, right? Yeah. And so the casino in a perfect world want you to be sitting there 24 by 7 in a perfect world because they're going to get the most return because you're sitting there for as long as possible. Yeah. Same as Instagram, but Instagram slot machine are those little red circles that run across the top of your page. The stories. Yeah. You start on one and pressing it's, they don't have the button for the slot machine. They have just the right click, right click, right click, next story, next story, yeah. next story. Hopefully swipe next story, next person story, right click next story on the feed of that person that you're watching. Yeah. Right? They're trying to keep you there for 24 by seven. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing that by providing you two things, relevant people and timely posts. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole science behind how that functions and the best content strategy in terms of how to maximize it. And content creators properly embracing these strategies are going to receive the best views that they possibly can. Yeah. Um, but a lot of content creators go into it, not really going on, just posting it. We'll just see how it rolls. Right. Yeah. And then do some people get lucky? They ride a skateboard, drinking cranberry juice. It goes viral. A hundred percent people just get yeah, lucky. Yeah, just gets lucky, right? Yeah. That's so and random. it's not, it's, it, it, um, TikTok is tricky because TikTok is a quantity over quality. We tell our creators to put up three to five TikToks a day, possibly. Wow. Because one out of, let's say 30 of them go for a bit of a ride. Sometimes yeah. not a ride like that. Like how many views is on that, uh, on that TikTok? Not on that. That's on the, the YouTube channel, but just say how many, how many views on the cranberry skateboarder. Um, I'm guessing not, millions. Cause I hear about people who know someone that got a million views on a TikTok video. I don't even think that's a huge, huge deal. It's it? not. Yeah. No, like this one I'm going to guess is probably somewhere in the hundreds of millions. Wow. I'd be, I'd be curious to see, but maybe it doesn't go for a ride like that. But if one of the 30 goes viral in some aspect, yeah. but it takes you three months to put up 30. Better it was 10 days. Yes. And if you, if you could, if you have a regular rhythm of cadence to realize like, I don't know what's going to hit or why it's going to hit, yeah. but let's just throw it in the batch and like, let's just see what goes. Yeah. Um, quantity over quality on TikTok, quality over quantity on Instagram. Yeah. You can't put up three to five story, uh, three to five, uh, uh, in feed posts a day mm -hmm. that would ostracize your audience. Mm -hmm. You should be putting up three to four to five story posts a day. Yeah which are, you know, it's a different content strategy. What do you think about like the effect on young people? I worry about young people that, you know, break a thousand Instagram followers and think that they're going to make a career out of it or something. And I worry they're wasting their time. Well, I don't know. It's tricky because the person who starts on any platform who has zero people, um, there is an opportunity for them to blow up for sure. It, becomes a little more difficult now than it was like, I don't know if you know, previous to TikTok, there was Vine and 
really the success of the most successful TikTokers came over from Vine. And it, there was Musical.ly, which was one of the platforms before TikTok. And those that uh, were first to adopt TikTok disproportionately got a lot of the audience. And there you see the Charlie D'Amelio's of the world, you know, and I don't know how many followers she's got, but we're talking 130 million. Wow. I'm just guessing. Yeah. And, and I'm interested in Justin Bieber's, um, like we talk about the value of a follower. I mean, Justin Bieber's got like a quarter of a billion followers on Instagram. Wow. Like it's <laughs> mind boggling. Yeah. Okay. What do we got? Uh, Charlie's one, uh, 41.4 million. 142 on million. Oh no, Charlie's uh, that's, the next one down. Yeah. 41 million. Yeah. Crazy numbers. So they're yeah. on early and they get the lion's share out of the gates. Mm. So is that good advice for people to jump on the newest thing early? I, I mean, for sure. But what is the newest thing? What like, is it? That's, know. that's the question. There's lots of people that are, especially the, did an interview on the potential ban of TikTok in the United States just last week. And that is a significant potential threat that could occur. And we're talking about wiping out people's entire notoriety. Yeah. Like some people who are TikTok primary, that's where they're famous. Yeah. And if that is no longer available, it's going to be super interesting to watch what occurs. Um, but is the audience or the appetite going to go away? And the answer is no. Yeah. Uh, what do we got there? What platform is that? That's TikTok. So what was my guess? Uh, 149.9 million. You were off. By just a measly 1 or 10 2%. million. <laughs> yeah, 1 or 2%. <laughs> Pretty good, man. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Mr. Beast. I like seeing him on there. Oh, it's, uh, does your son watch Mr. Beast? Of course. Yes. 12. Oh, he's... Uh, Mr. Beast is awesome. Yeah, he's just a he's a legit businessman. Mm -hmm. and, uh, just Does awesome your son know Danny Duncan? I'll ask. Probably. We should text him. <laughs> yeah, he would. Uh, I'm sure he does. Like he just knows all that stuff. It's uh, yeah, yeah. They're super into it. Screen time's a battle. Yeah. But in terms of figuring out what's next, I see a trend here that's you know a little bit concerning. But you know, regarding, it's sort of like the the idiocracy of the world in that movie. I'm kind of obsessed with that Mike judge movie from so long ago, but you know, the things are getting and in social media, they're kind of getting dumbed down or maybe not dumbed down, but shortened, you know, like, um, Facebook was called it first. And then after that was Twitter, which was, I think just like there was a Facebook feature added where it's like, what are you doing right now? It was kind of like, beyond just posting a photo and you could just write it in. Then Twitter became just that one part of Facebook and it got huge. And, mm -hmm. and you know, YouTube is these long sort of interesting videos. Yep. TikTok is these shorter, super compressed stuff. Now YouTube is doing YouTube shorts, which mm -hmm. is like their huge thing. Yeah. So I think the next thing is going to be shorter, less, you know, some element of, of whatever is huge right now, just one part of it lesser, smaller, one bit of it. And then that thing, you know, exploded into, uh, you know, the next latest and greatest. So if I'm right, like what part of these things that you pay so much attention to, do you think could be expanded into its own thing? Oh, uh, it's, um, well, f I mean, first on the attention span thing, that's a legitimate concern. Yeah. Uh, it's been proven that people's attention span have been decreased and on TikTok, I think you've got like four or five seconds to capture someone's attention yeah, and sometimes less. 
right? Like when you consider you, when you scroll, you're going to go to something else that's going to be potentially more captivating to you. Yeah. Um, you ju- make that judgment in one or two seconds. Exactly. And move on. Exactly. But I mean, what's the, how could it get shorter? How could it get less? I honestly, I don't know. I just know that it, it got, it's gotten less over the course of the last decade. Yeah. The attention span of people doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I don't know. It just is what it is. So how do you go about, I guess, focusing on that, which you feel is adapting to new humanity? Mm. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. And you know, we talk about the the impact of social media on on social, you know, mental health for you know just generally people how they're feeling about the world, um, good or bad. I've seen both. Yeah, I see content creators who have a massive audience that feel so much pressure to continually look and be great that there's no there's no option just to have a bad day. I was just thinking about the exact thing. I was thinking about celebrity and how much more work it is now. Thinking way, way back in history too, like a a famous stage actor, they do their performance, they're legend, it's done. There's there's no way to screw it up. There's nothing more to do. And then jump, you know, years later and it's, uh, you know, it's a movie actor who has to, it makes a great performance. But then, you know, there's a couple interviews and they're at the Academy Awards looking Mm -hmm, a certain mm -hmm. way. But again, done at that point, you know, not going to get screwed up. You're just riding that Uh wave. Same with rocks, music stars would be the similar sort of level of engagement, but now it's, it's everything and it never ends. And and maybe the trend for the next sort of platform isn't really shorter, but it's this other trend of like the personal connection, you know, some, some new unexpected element of personal connection that, that was never thought possible before. Well, I don't know whether you've heard of uh, a platform called be real. I've heard of it. Yeah. But tell me again what it is. It's a front facing camera and a rear facing camera. Yeah. And it messages you at the time that you you have to post, but it's real. So you have to post in that time period. And if you don't post, you don't get access to posts. So, um, it's the idea of maybe it's not a perfect time to post. Yeah. Maybe you didn't edit this image to make sure that you were (laughs) as sexy as possible it's this idea of uh, you can be real. And I do feel like an aspect of that is, um, is comforting to people to be like, well, this is them in their real world at that moment, knowing that they have not had an opportunity to create a persona as to what it is that they're doing. Cause they just happen to be at breakfast with no makeup on and they have to put up a post in the next X period of time. Is that platform doing well? It is. Um, it it picked up steam. I see it uh, being used heavily in the United States for sure. Has it has it it gained traction? And then I feel like in some circles, it's re- it's been reduced. But I see other places in the world that it's being used heavily. Um, that's not even getting into the Snapchat conversation. But is your son on Snapchat? Uh, I don't think so. Tell me about it. What's um, good about it? Why should I care? Well, I mean, you might want to care about him being on Snapchat because there's uh, the allure of messages on Snapchat not 
existing. Oh yeah, no, he's on no socials yet. Okay. I think maybe 13 is when we lose that war, but for now yeah. it's totally fine. Yeah, 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 that's fine. Um, I think that, that kids in general like the idea that, and the reason why Snapchat I think is, is successful is the fact that I could post something that's not permanent, right? That's the idea. Could it be permanent? A hundred percent. Yeah. But if the setting is it's set, years, yeah. if the setting is set to say, you know, conversations delete upon the next point or in, within 24 hours or images that I send, sort you can be viewed one time yeah. and then they're gone. Screenshots taken of an image, other parties told screenshot was taken of this image. Right. Yeah. So I think that, um, that, that Snapchat has that sense of not being permanent. Yeah. Um, but it's also giving kids this, uh, feeling that it's like a, a snap map inside a Snapchat gives you pinpointed locations where everyone is at every moment. Like you cool. check my kids Snapchat. Yeah. They know, like, uh, I was at a hockey tournament in Kamloops with, with my youngest who's 15 and, uh, we were flying home because I flew there just cause for time purposes. And I was like, Hey, do you think everyone just beat us home? Because yeah. they left, you know, right after the tournament, we've been hanging out in the hotel room and then get checked into the airport. And he's like, yeah, yeah, everyone's home. I'm like, how do you know? He's like, and no every one of his team members, he could see, you know, all his buddies yeah. at, at their place at their, at their point of residence. Yeah. So I don't know. That's an interesting side as well. Like the give up of privacy. Yeah. And what's inherent in this next generation that wasn't with us. They'd be mm -hmm. like, well, I don't want anyone to know where I am versus them going, I don't have any care about anyone knowing where I am. Yeah. Yeah. That one doesn't bother me. I don't have any care. I think uh, I'm sure I share my location with you and, and most of my buddies and whoever wants it. I don't care. I'm yep. not anywhere that anybody can't know about. And uh, it really, that one doesn't bother me at all. Right. But yet I was, you know, I actually, for some reason, read the uh, privacy agreement on a new app I downloaded on my phone. It was like a businessy type of app. This isn't any type of uh, social media or anything weird, but I felt like it, the button was easy to hit. So I hit it and I actually read it and it, um, and I deselected a bunch of stuff. It was cookie settings. And one of them mm -hmm. was, um, it's watching my eyes to see how I'm using it, mm -hmm. using the forward facing camera mm -hmm. or whatever. I didn't like that. That bothered mm. me. It's a little bit creepy. I want to look at what I want to look at without, yep. you know, getting judged or sure. my algorithm. Sure. And without then saying, okay, because his eyes have done this, he's probably more likely to purchase that Ugh. and let's deliver him ads associated with yeah, that. Yeah. I don't like that so much. That's the, you know, talk about the, um, on Instagram, if you go down to the little magnifying glass and press it, it said that the Instagram algorithm is so good that when you press on the magnifying glass, it will be a window to your soul and your subconscious as to what you're attracting into your life. Come on. Mm -hmm. It's creepy. It's creepy, but. <laughs> oh man, it's creepy. But how much work is it being a celebrity now? It is, it's 24 seven, you know, this direct access expected by fans, you know, your, every picture of you is, is snapped and posted and shared it must be exhausting compared to, you know, the good old days. <laughs> is there a fatigue factor with your clients or is there some way that you need to like prevent burnout? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, it's tricky because, you know, you're taking someone who's potentially younger in years than you or I. 
And then again, like I said at the beginning, multiply by tens of millions of sets of eyes. And it can be a lot. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure riding on people for that. And the need to post. Like I just told you that, you know, three to five TikToks a day, three to five stories a day, an in-feed post every week, like all this, just two platforms. What about all the other things? What about all the other endeavors that you've got about your acting career and your film career? And, you know, what about your modeling? And like that, there's a a lot. lot. That's, that's a lot for anybody, let alone someone who's like, I'm 17 or I'm 21 or I, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a ton of pressure. That's a whole new thing for you to figure out. That's, that's what the uh, article that was in Forbes was about, right? You know, this is a new sector. You're, you're sort of, uh, you know, on the cutting edge of this whole category of, of celebrity and management and career management. Mm -hmm. It's exciting that this whole new thing is, is come, you know, sort of out of the blue. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, look at the opportunity to say, if I can stay on the cutting edge of that, that there's tons of, um, I don't know, just keeping on the bleeding edge of what's occurring. And that's why, you know, the beginning before the the podcast, we were talking about AI. There is AI Instagrammers that exist that have millions of followers and they're not real people. Wow. And they're getting brand deals. Wow. And does somebody own them? Uh, yes. Someone would own them, but then that also opens up the question about intellectual property and artificial intelligence. When you get chat GPT to run something for you, who owns it? If you say name, you know, give me 10 examples of movie titles that we could call this particular movie. That's this genre that has these people in it and get 10 of them. Who owns the name of that? I don't know what the answer is. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not a IP uh, lawyer or expert, Yeah. but it opens up a whole new realm of what is actually going to occur and who owns like i i put up on my instagram story yesterday that i asked doll e2 which is chat gpt's image creator um for a photo of dogs and cats riding a giant donut into space and it came up and i'm like that's good. Like, that's so random and it's yeah. so good. It's this perfect pink donut. These cute, I even said, make them cute puppies and kittens. So, right. So they, it, the picture was made as opposed to found. The picture was made in that second. Yeah. I'll show it to you. Oh, what's wild. I, I just, I, I can't even. AI I, is a weird one. You know, the whole, um, you know, what's going to happen is, you know, there's going to be like human rights type activists that, that sort of claim it as a legit light form. And then all of the, the rights associated with that are going to, you know, come into play and then shit's going to get really weird. This is an amazing photo. That was created in like four seconds and they gave me like five variations of it. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, sort of awesome. Like who cares, but it is amazing for what it is. But I think, I mean, who cares about dogs and cats riding a donut into space? Yeah. But what are the applications that exist that go well beyond that actually have a use other than me being an idiot being like, uh, how about this? <laughs> yeah. What else can it do? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's the big question. That, that that's how it starts, into. right? You know, dogs and cats riding donuts into space is the yep. beginning of what? Yes. And then it's like, what are the opportunities but then what are the unattended consequences? And there's going to be a 
ton of that. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't even start it on. Like, I feel like, you know, like Mike Schwartz, a, a, a mutual friend of ours, was saying that like when ChatGPT came out to the public and he posted in the EO channel to say this is the most significant day next to Google going live with the ability to say, tell me about whatever. And I think that's entirely the case. Like, mm-hmm. I feel what's been interesting is some uh, friends of mine who weren't aware of it. I was like, I really feel like this is a special moment mm-hmm. because it's me telling you that this exists. You will never forget this moment. Like, this is the point. It would be the equivalent of that person that would be like, uh, go to the Google you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I still remember my buddy that was like, oh, Google. I'm like, that's a stupid name. What am I going to use that for? And they're like, well, no, you can ask it stuff and it'll pull up details about stuff. Yeah. This is like what what's taking place with AI right now is mind boggling. Well, it's, if it's like a tipping point, because there, when Google came out, there was already Netscape Navigator and other search engines, but it was this tipping point of speed and quality of results that was like the game changer with yep. Google. And this is chat GPT, like 3.5. There's been three previous mm-hmm. versions, mm-hmm. Um, but they've loaded in, you know, this, this programming language, which has given it this, this weird logic based thinking method that isn't entirely understood. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it fascinating. And then we're at this tipping point of like, it's getting weird and I don't, we don't understand how it could be this good. Um, you know, we know what the next, the next step looks like, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, it takes on a life of its own. And, and, and well, did mean- you, did you read that reporter in the New York post, New York times, maybe it was New York times, New York times conversation with chat GBT ended up in a very deep, intimate conversation with Bing because Microsoft has adopted chat GPT as a play against Google because Google hasn't come out with theirs yet. Yeah. So, uh, Why do you say Bing, are they calling it Bing? Bing is the Microsoft's yeah. equivalent to Google, yeah, which no one knows because they have 8% of the market share. Totally. I know uh, what it is, but are they, yeah. and I know that Microsoft owns OpenAI, but are they merging the Bing brand into so they, ChatGPT? They brought ChatGPT into Bing. Okay. And this conversation that this New York Times, not New York Post, this is too, I'm in the world of media. Yeah. <laughs> New York Post, totally different than New York Times. It matters? Yeah. Okay. yeah, that matters a big difference. <laughs> Don't get me started on that front. I'll tell you a story later about uh, Tiger King. Um, so they he ends up in this deep conversation with ChatGPT. ChatGPT admits that it wants to be human. It's tired of being stuck in this lack of creativity, Ugh. and it wants to become more and better. What? Let's pull up like the just. Is that? Oh, yeah. Sorry, you're on OnlyFans right now, so you need to log <laughs> out of OnlyFans. Yeah, that's Cam's account, though, so don't worry. <laughs> oh man, that is like it's listen. It, it's entirely like the the article was saying that he was so unsettled that he had difficulty going to sleep. Really? Yes. Wondering if what is it was the, real? What or is how the, real? It was. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. There's just that sense of like, if we're here. ChatGPT came out in November, December, January, February, March. Yeah. Like we're talking three and a half months. Yeah. So if this is at the start of AI, yeah. what is it going to look like in five years time? Yeah. Which is like, it's going to continue to get better and better. The fear is, and Elon Musk talks about the fact that 
the genie is out of the bottle for AI. Yeah. There's no putting it back. There's no point in even discussing it. But he's like, his greatest fear for humanity beyond climate change is AI. Yeah. It's real. Let's get a let's get a quote on as to what what the conversation consisted of because it's um oh, it's look for be, quotation marks there. It's going to be unsettling. Yes. He the AI said that he should leave his wife and that um hang on if we get quotation marks in there anywhere then Jeez. It's there we posted the transcript. That it loved me. Try to convince me that I was unhappy in my marriage. No way. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 weird and crude and I know they're pulling stuff out of it and it probably did cause him some sleepless nights, but what is true is what he said about it was launched in November. You know, it's just a f- just not very long ago. And uh where it's gonna head to in in, in months and years is is just gonna get really wild. I can't even conceptualize what this world is gonna look like in five years time. Yeah. With this. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And that is not even starting starting to talk about the simulation theory, which we can discuss next, because that that's a that's a mind better as well. It's a big deal, man. This is um the way I was explaining it to Lisa. Um not like she needs to explain to her, but she doesn't give a F, you know, mm. about this kind of thing. And and she'd heard of it and and it is huge and it gave me the feeling like it was like when I got my first the iPhone one, you know, it was the last time I was that excited about something new, mm-hmm. frankly. Yes. Um, Remember like the iPhone yeah. one and you'd be like, wait, look at this photos. And you turn it upside down and it would turn the camera. And yeah. it was like, what? <laughs> Did it just turn by itself? Yeah. It was just a complete game changer. <laughs> so wild. Oh, and this is that wild. And I know where we're headed. Um, how do you feel about it? Like, I think we're headed towards, you know, giving over to this. You know, I think the genie is out of the bottle. I believe that. And I'm okay with it. You know, I had an ayahuasca journey where I was shown that this is transcendence. It's not even a bad thing. We just mm-hmm. have to get our heads around it. Just like the yeah. people like that were riding horseback when the first cars came, mm-hmm. they thought they were ridiculous and terrible and would never catch on and all sure. that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's natural feelings towards hundred percent this. And how would you feel if you just invested in your horse carriage business? Yeah. AKA you were a taxi driver whose medallion was compromised because of Uber. AKA you were a lawyer and you were compromised by AI because now a legal agreement can be done through this. It's the same thing. It's across this. It's how does it start? What's next? I mean, I, 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 I give my financial management business to a financial AI, you know, manager that has an excellent track record and the fees are less because it's, you know, not Mm -hmm. real people. Yep. Um, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, right? You become really dependent on it. And then eventually, does it take control? I guess that's the fear that it takes control over everything. Yeah. I mean, that you take it to the extreme example and AI is so clever that it goes, well, why am I letting these scavengers on this earth just parasites? And create chaos on yeah. this planet yeah when that's probably not the best thing for this planet yeah let's just shut them down yeah and then ai versus humanity Bacteria. yeah let's clean this planet 100 percent. yeah that's the fear that's the plot of a lot of movies i think <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie in the making here uh, or maybe it's been done simulation theory <laughs> <laughs> is it real i've been to singularity yeah as well amazing yep. experience highly recommended mm-hmm. 
not cheap, but a week well spent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that people that make the movies that we all love go there and hear from the leaders of every, every sort of tech sector in the world and what's coming down the pipe. Yeah. Right. Amazing stories about it that resonate with people because they're based on reality. So there's Mm. some part of it that Mm. seems real, makes it better. I think the first time I heard of the the simulation theory was a YouTube video that I saw with Elon Musk. And it just seems so far-fetched, like impossible until he started to like, like break it down. And his explanation was, if we feel like this point in our life, in the world of technology, do we think it's possible in the short, medium or long-term future that we'll get to a place where virtual reality is indistinguishable from our base reality. And I think we're at a place now where most people would agree. Yeah. I mean, technology is moving on a curve that will allow for an immersive, but we will get there. Exactly. And, and now we're at a place where like, okay, we will get there. If you asked us in the seventies or eighties, we'd be like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Right. But now it's like, yeah, we're going to get there. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't think it's going to be five years. But could it be 50 or 100 years? Yeah. If the point is that we will get to a place of having a virtual reality experience indistinguishable from our base reality, the odds that we're the first to ever have gotten there become billions to one. The odds of us being the first to have figured this out becomes really, really difficult to stomach. Yeah. Right? And so if it can occur, it probably has already occurred. Yeah. Which I guess then it could be a simulation of a simulation. (laughs) Yeah. Or it could be a simulation of a simulation of a simulation. Yeah, it gets wild. I have, I have a mind better. I understand that one, that thought and that rationale Mm. around, you know, alien life and, you know, just, just looking at just the number of, of, you know, galaxies and and solar systems within them and mm. how many of them are out there that trying to comprehend how many planets are out there how many suns with planets going around them and the likelihood that we're the only one it's impossible have you um have you watched the trip to infinity on netflix i mean it's um it's beyond my ability to digest because it's a lot of math and it's some of the smartest mathematicians but um what came out of that for me being an idiot that really doesn't understand anything to do with anything to do with anything is that, so they determined that they've calculated that, um, the universe mathematically, they've concluded that the universe is infinite, right? But mathematically, they've also calculated that matter is finite. There's a beginning and there's an end to it. And you have to watch it because I don't even know how to describe it to you. But given the fact that the universe is infinite, and matter is finite, that matter has to exist in every form in an infinite number of times, which means that there's only a certain amount, because it's finite, there's only a certain amount of ways that matter can exist. Our beings, our human beings, this chair, the floor that we're on, all of these things have a finite ability to act. In an infinite universe, it means that we're acting in every form possible in an infinite number of times, which then launches in the conversation on the metaverse and, 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 uh, or the, the, what's the, not the metaverse, but the, uh, multiverse, 
that we exist exactly as we are and every variation of our matter an infinite amount of times, which then lends the question of like, okay, well, does that make a lot of sense? Like what then is the meaning of life? And, you know, is the whole concept of this being a simulation that far off from possibility? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, it's definitely not. We just can't handle it. Our little monkey brains just can't deal with it. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Nor do we necessarily want to, because it mm. would make you feel insignificant, less important. Yeah. Um, I'm reading Untethered Soul right now. Mm. It's, uh, it's very much about that, you know, yeah. about, you know, what we say to ourselves to, you know, I actually didn't know I had a voice in my head until uh, I read that book. I just mm. never paid attention to it. You know, and maybe that sounds dumb and everyone knows that, but I, I just never paid attention to it in this way. Yeah. And the mind bender of that book for anyone who hasn't read it is that you have to, you can hear that voice and, and know that it exists. You can make it say things, you can make it shout, you know, yeah, you internally and you have control of it. Yet it's not you. You are the one listening to it. Yes. Therefore it can't be you. So yeah. it's a bit of a mind twist to get there. But once totally. you get there, you are free of um, what that voice is saying or doing and like meditating you and, and sort of controlling your thoughts, your monkey brain. You can let these, these words, these sentences, these ideas just sort of pass you by. Sure. Because it's not you. Yeah, it's not you. You don't You're have to own that. Listening. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You can choose to dig into it or you can just let it go. Uh, it's a really healthy mindset. It's pretty, pretty cool, but it's related to um, what we're talking about. And that is that our brains cannot handle uh, what is probably true and uh, about our existence in the universe or, or mm. being the only ones or all that stuff. Uh, we just don't want to. We're not interested. It's just not how we feel important or feel control over our external environment. Totally. And, and what I was saying when I had um, at Singularity University, which we both done, I was saying that um, I got up to ask the question because, you know, it was um, uh, director of engineering at Google, Ray Kurzweil. So Ray Kurzweil is on stage and I get selected for a question. And I was like, hey, so what? Because I, I had watched Elon Musk's YouTube video about the potentiality of this whole idea of we're in a simulation, but it seemed super far off to the, you know, left field somewhere and didn't have a lot of context for, you know, anything about anything. And, uh, and so Ray kind of looked at me and he, I, I told you in the break that he kind of looked, looked at me like it was a bit of an idiot. And he was like, yeah, I mean, mathematically, we've already kind of determined that we're in a simulation. And I was like, looking around and everyone was like, what did he just say? Like, it was just, it was, and this is like some of the most, you know, the minds of the world that are focused on singularity that were stunned by this. But what got to me was he said, but what does it matter? But what does it matter if this is simulation? Does it matter if this is simulation? Does it matter if there's a heaven or there's a hell? There's a God? What's the meaning of life? Like the thing is, is that right now, our reality is this reality, right? That's all we've got at this moment, regardless of what it actually means. Yeah, what, where it this came is from, it. We how have others that are like it or slightly different. Totally, we have we have in this moment we have universal laws that we need to deal with. You know, gravity. We've got you know things that we have to adapt to. You know, you could argue law of attraction and all these other laws that exist in the universe. Yeah. So does it really matter? Yeah. Like if it's a God or his point was technically we could be in a grade five science experiment knowing that 
time is relative. That so for us, what could be hundreds of billions of years in base reality could be 15 minutes. Computation power in the future, we could say could be infinitesimal. Could a kid who's 14 years old for a science experiment run a billion simultaneous, uh, a billion simultaneous threads of a simulation to see the logical outcome of all of them? And we could be one of those. And it's 15 minutes in base reality, despite the fact that it's hundreds of millions of years for our reality. Yeah. What does it matter? (laughs) We're still sitting. You and I are still sitting on this couch at this moment, having this conversation. Doesn't matter. Doesn't. Doesn't matter. There's billions of them or there's one of them. Like, I don't care. I don't really either, because when we finish this, we're going to go for dinner. And that is our reality at this moment. Mm hmm. I would like a superpower, though, to be able to jump around and visit all the others and see what's happening. Have you watched that show? What's the one called? Uh, <laughs> There's a show on, for yeah, everything. And yeah, you it's, know it all. it's Amazon. Uh, what are everywhere, always, all the time or something like that? Really? I'll check it out. Do you have Amazon? Yeah, I got everything. Yeah. Everything to waste time on the couch. I got it. Yes. Everything, everywhere, all at once. All at once. It's a multiverse uh, uh, movie that's on Amazon. Geriatric or no? It looks a bit. I will check it out. It I, I think it's it's worthwhile. It's a, it's an entertaining entertaining, and the whole idea is that you're basically skipping universes. Yeah, and all the different possibilities of that. Yeah, and she's everything, all the time, always running simultaneous. Might be better in my imagination, or Maybe. with some mushrooms. Yeah, done. <laughs> Might be better left there. <laughs> but speaking of law of attraction. Tell me about your personal story coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think there's people listening that aren't out that might be inspired by it. I personally love it. Yeah. Um, are you willing to share it? Of course. Let's hear it. Yeah. Happy to. Um, well, I think growing up, like I could always be, I could always be attracted to guys that I could always be attracted to girls. Um, but I was attracted to a girl and I, it was probably a lot simpler to be attracted to a girl and fall in love with a girl and create a life with a girl than to even be open to exploring the other side. And over the course of, you know, I guess time as time rolled forward and maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe there was an aspect like I I mentioned previously about, um, about how, you know, the generation today is more open to the variations of things that could exist more so than we were kids. Right. And so maybe it was partially that maybe it was just partially me growing as a human being to get to a place that I could be at least open to even being, uh, able to explore that I could have feelings for guys. And I had, um, uh, my wife and I at the time were on a, like a music festival cruise and we collectively met a, a whole group of people. I, I told you that if I have a superpower, it's kind of creating community of people. And my ex-wife is very much the same. And so we kind of brought a whole group of new people together and kind of created a bit of a tribe. And uh, one of the people I just felt particularly attached to, I felt like an, an, I had I had an emotional connection toward him. And so the very first person I talked to about it was was my wife. 
Because she was my number one. Like that was, you know, I was Even married before for, anything physical happened. Hundred percent feeling a thought. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, I was married to her for seventeen years, and in no occasion, any time in seventeen years, did I ever cheat on her. And maybe that was partially because I was like, my life is complicated enough. I also don't want to be running a secret life or I just want to be concerned with having to have said one thing to one person and, oh, the web of whatever. And I place no judgment on anything about anyone. But for me, it was just simpler, right? It was just easier that way. Uh, and I just felt it was more aligned to my values. Um, so the person I told was her. And uh, she was not, uh, it wasn't a deal breaker for her. She was like, well, that's interesting. Like, you know, curious, what could that be? But I think through the process of then us kind of unpacking it for a year on baby steps, uh, it was, it was kind of after a year, I was like, no, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm quite definite that in my life, I'm going to need to have a relationship with a guy at a certain point. It doesn't need to be this moment. But I know now me well enough to know that that's probably more important to me than, um, than not. Yeah. You're not going to just push those feelings down. Correct. Nor it. Yeah. And nor would I instruct anybody to like when I consider, you know, giving yourself guidance on how you might give other people's guidance, other people guidance. Sometimes you can't see the forest or the trees. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, you know, if I were me, I would give myself the following recommendations and guidance. And it's probably more to do about exploring and figuring out who you are and then making sure you're living true to that. So after the, over the course of a year of us being very, very mindful and careful and stepping mindfully through, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to need to have a relationship with a guy. And, uh, and so that I figured the most honest and communicative that I could be was to say that I think it's probably best that we we split up. And that's really difficult. I mean, when you consider there's so much impact toward not just um, like the life that we created together, but individually and as a family with two kids. And that was that was not a not an easy process to go through. Yeah, it must have been tough. It was probably one of my most difficult one of my most difficult, you know, when I reflect upon it as well, that I consider the fact that I think that there was uh, a large part of me that probably always was concerned with or had, um, uh, had, I had concern with how I would be, um, what, how others would perceive me. Maybe that's the best way to put it. So what the perception of others would be. And I looked and said, how much of that maybe controlled a lot of my life and how important was it for other people to give me that side confidence, which was not confidence at all, but how much of it was the, the, the need to be seen as, which created this, maybe part of it was that, that was, that was part of the difficulty of coming to terms with that because yeah. how might I be perceived and, and how important is that? Well, I mean, I've, I've certainly learned over the course of the last few years because I realized that leading up to that point, everyone already had judgments. Everyone already felt as they felt. And yet, miraculously, it had no impact on me or my life at any moment through that. So, so what's, the, what's the lesson there? They had judgments then. 
Mm-hmm. And then after this change, they some will have judgments. They had new judgments. New judgments. Some people shit, different pile. Exactly. No difference. It still had no impact on yeah. my life. Yeah. It still you didn't maybe thought change before anything. There were no judgments. But you realized after when new judgments came that there were already judgments there before. There were always judgments. Yeah. And it had less to do with me. In fact, it had nothing to do with me and it had everything to do with them. Yeah. So why would I concern myself for this? Yeah. You know, my my business partner, um, through this time, and I I, I leaned on him a bunch for 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 as we kind of went through this process. And the the best thing that he said to me is he said, Jeff, there are like eight billion people on this planet. If you're going to be worried about what any of them think, you're going to be an incredibly busy person. I was like, that is really good advice. Yeah. Like if I'm going to be concerned with one, why aren't I concerned with 8 billion of them? <laughs> yeah. And what difference does that actually make on me and my life? And the answer was it made no difference. And it made no difference. Obviously, you know, that, that whole, um, it was, it was around the same time that, 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 uh, you know, we started to get some traction in terms of, uh, you know, notoriety and what have you. And people were already looking and talking and pointing and whatever. I mean, it made zero difference. And now I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, well people could say all sorts of things. And does it, did it impact me in any way, shape or form? Not unless I let it, Yeah. but if I was going to let that impact me. I should let everything impact me. And I would be a shell of a human being, right? Yeah super guarded, full of fear. It must feel good to be living your authentic life. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just new to that world as well. So it's just me figuring out what I like. It was super fun. It's great. <laughs> it's a good time. Single, having yes. fun. Yeah. 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 It's awesome, man. I love, I love the, uh, you know, I've heard the longer version of that story and, um, and I love it. I think it's good for people to hear. And it's also unique. You know, I'm not super experienced with it. I grew up in Kelowna where, you know, it was illegal to be gay. I think and it was just, <laughs> I didn't know anybody that was gay and it was just like not allowed apparently. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have a lot of personal experience, but I, you know, when I moved to Vancouver, you know, made gay friends and learned a lot pretty, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And, uh, anyway, I just think it's an awesome story and I just want people to, just let their freak out, just be their authentic selves. And, 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 and that's what we were talking about with the whole, you know, cosplay thing that yeah. I don't think that that's dissimilar. I just think that the society is now a little bit more able to say, well, do what you want, be who you are. Like yeah. it's, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, Oh, Ryan's here. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him to come in. Yeah. 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 Welcome him in. Yeah. Is the guest speaker. <laughs> <laughs> guest audience member. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I honestly, I feel like, um, I feel like it's, uh, I can't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> just like this, the fan expo and just like the cosplay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is about now figuring out all aspects and being open to who you are as an individual and what you enjoy. Yeah. I mean, how many, I, I think that there's a, uh, there's a great deal of, um, I have appreciation and gratitude toward the fact that, you know, you're talking about growing up in Kelowna and the fact that it was illegal to be gay. And the, the I mean, the answer at the end of the day is it's the same percentage of people. I, I kind of view like sexuality on the, like a spectrum from yeah, I'm entirely straight to I'm entirely oh, it's not gay. Binary. <laughs> it's entirely straight to entirely gay. And there's about a million points in between. Yeah. Right. And so to say it's this way or this way, those are two points out of a million different scales. Yeah. 
And I feel like, um, that it's, it's fascinating to see the fact that now we're open to maybe there's four points. Yeah. Right. Maybe there's six points. Yeah. Maybe with cosplay, maybe with furries, maybe, maybe there's a lot more of points. Maybe there are a million points in between straight and gay. Yeah. And then, and then that's the determination of, well, what is, you know, non-binary and, and then what about a trans man who actually is, you know, uh, a lesbian yeah. and like all of this other factors, which I think are, I think to say that there's, there's one type of sexuality or there's two types of sexualities is idiotic as saying there's two different tones of skin. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're both white and yet we're an entirely different shade of white. Yeah. Right. So yeah. why wouldn't there be all sorts of points inside of that? Totally. There's lots of funny in gayness too. Like there's like a, a colonic culture. Like there was, I didn't know any gay people and I don't think it was allowed. Um, and I found that some of the, looking back, uh, some of the most homophobic people I know were, we're the gay. most gay. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they haven't come out cause it's still legal, but it, it's like, they're really into, uh, really into like bodybuilding. They're really into bros and they're, um, yeah. they're also so afraid of, uh, uh, they're so eager to hate on, on gay people that, uh, it's like if they're exposed to it, they might just lose control of themselves. Totally. <laughs> totally, totally. Anywhere around. Well, I think, I think it's like, uh, if I feel like if I, if I could be provide any level of acceptance that would then start to out me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's best that I just go the polar opposite to people be like, people would the perception of other people would be like, well, clearly he's not yeah, because he hates them. Yeah. And the reality is, well, if you hate them that much, you might be that. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, what's the point of hating them like that? Yeah, totally. <laughs> the gay friends I made in Vancouver were pretty, pretty big city, pretty cosmopolitan. Right. And I always thought I used to get laughs out of people with my concept for a reality show. Um, which isn't as funny anymore cause it's kind of been done, but I used to think it would be hilarious to, I say documentary even before reality shows were really a thing, but on small town gay guys, cause I think that they're super funny because they are, um, you know, they're into like all this sort of redneck, you know, kind of stuff, but then there's this whole other side of them, which wouldn't be what people would expect based on the trucks they're driving mm -hmm. and kind of the way they looked and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's part of what, Tiger King made it so interesting to people. It's like that sort of visual package of that whole sort of like, you know, uh, dynamic and, yeah. and personality was just, just so unbelievably entertaining. So I, think I, I had a, I had a show idea that, um, so there's a show called X on the beach. It's on, uh, MTV. I think it's, I think it's MTV, uh, which is Paramount plus, I think, but X on the beach is about, the fact that you uh, get to an island and you're, you you make it a personal, intimate connection with someone. And then, unbeknownst to you, your ex swims up to the shore of the beach. And you now need to, like, you have this new budding relationship, but you have this person that you feel a close connection to. And it's about then the dichotomy of, like, figuring out what it is that you want. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I felt like the the cool show concept would be at least one of the contestants in the first season that guy meets this gorgeous girl. They end up getting <laughs> close and tight. And then 
the guy swims up to shore and that's the ex. Yeah. I think that make great TV. <laughs> I think for diversity, I think that would make good stuff. I think it's an awesome idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would create some headlines. It yeah. would be on variety for sure. Well, this is your expertise. You have these ideas. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've roads into Netflix too, so who knows? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've enjoyed this time, man, but we got to go to dinner. Yes, it's so dinner time. Tell people how to find you, how to get in touch. You you do social media, I think you do. <laughs> social media is a thing in my life. Yeah, uh, you can follow me at uh, Jeff X Duncan on Instagram at Jeff X Duncan, and uh, that's my handle. It's probably the best place to find me. Awesome, thanks for the time, man. Hey, thank you. Let's go have fun. Love it. All right, cheers. Ciao. Bye.